0: good morning everyone or good afternoon or good evening whichever the case may be welcome to another edition of the other side of midnight that magical time between dusk and dawn where literally anything can happen so since anything can happen and something seems to be happening in the background right now let me do this okay welcome everyone uh this is saturday it is june uh 19th juneteenth which is the excellent lead-in to my first uh story it turns out if you go to the other side of midnight for you who were not used to the drill uh, the other side of midnight.com that's our url uh, click on that that will take you to our home page and from there you will simply follow the bouncing banners what you're going to do is you're going to click on the banner uh, near the top of that page, which says the Chinese dramatically reappear and other major Martian mysteries. Uh, we were going to do this last week, and I had uh, issues. I'm I'm sorry about that. Uh, we're working on some solutions, uh, and I will, you know, when we find them, I will let you know. Anyway, click on that, button; That will take you to the guest page for tonight. And just kind of uh, under the guest page, you'll see... Fast links, click on Richard. That takes you to the section of the page of Radio with Pictures that has my items. My first item has to do with a 94-year-old woman from Texas um, whose name is Opal Lee. She has been working for decades, decades and decades, since she and her family, when she was, I think, 12, were burned out of their house in Texas in one of those bizarre, you know, racist incidents that this country in our history has been so peppered with relentlessly for hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, in, uh, you know, many, many decades ago when she was 12, you can do the math. Um, she and her family were literally burned out by a mob of about 500 white guys and ran out of town. Their house burned, their furnishings burned. Fortunately, they all survived. She is now 94 years of age, and she determined at some point in her very interesting life and career, uh, you can actually go and Google her openly, um, was determined to see that this date, June 19th, when two years after Abraham Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation The word finally reached Galveston, Texas, by way of a a certain Union general, whose name escapes me at the moment. Anyway, he uh, officially announced it. The last of the slaves were notified that they were free men and women. And it was on June 19th, um, two years after Lincoln had freed the slaves. Well, I did not learn. And I'm. In the company it turns out of a whole bunch of other people i did not learn about june 19th juneteenth until just a couple of years ago and it was stunning to me that it took two years for lincoln's words to reach just texas let alone you know any farther parts of the then fledgling united states so um as of a couple of days ago on friday The House and the Senate, Senate unanimously, the House with all but 14 members out of 435, voted to make this date, June 19th, Juneteenth, a national holiday. Celebrating after hundreds of years when we as a society officially freed the
1: slaves.
0: I am just astonished that it has taken so long. Long So happy Juneteenth, everyone. The story, one of the stories of Opal Lee's relentless crusade. I mean, a couple of years ago, she literally walked from Texas to Washington. It was more than a couple of years to try to get another administration to proceed by making the Juneteenth holiday, which is celebrated in a number of states, including Texas, as a state holiday, but not nationally. She decided she was going to try to make it a national holiday. Well, the last national holiday that was authorized by Congress and signed into law by the president was 38 years ago. And that was the rather controversial uh, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. 38 years. It's amazing how things will go on and on and on. And then suddenly. Like overnight, like an asymptotic change, change will occur. That's going to be kind of a theme for tonight because I have a feeling, based on evidence that we're going to try to go into at some length tomorrow night when I have Rick Levine and Georgia Lambert as my guests, in a program that we've entitled Of Things to Come, we're going to try to peel back the veil of the other stunning asymptotic punctuated equilibrium changes that I believe and they believe and will try to document are going to overtake society after decades or even longer of gestation and seemingly no progress. It turns out, and this of course fits in perfectly with my uh, hyperdimensional model which is all based on frequencies and heterodyning and you know when it's steamboat time you steam and change doesn't occur gradually but in this you know as Stephen uh, Jay Gould you know described it as punctuated equilibrium meaning you've got uniform stuff going on going on going on and then suddenly there's a change that's what we see with Juneteenth for decades Opal and her friends and family and colleagues and supporters and activists have been trying to get this to be an important, crucial recognition of what the society used to do and is now allowed to do no longer. But it took literally decades for change to occur literally overnight, because if you read the story, um, Opal says when the Senate. Well, hundred senators on both sides of the aisle. I mean, when was the last time we had a hundred senators, Democrats and Republicans and independents, agree on anything? One hundred senators, including some I will not name. It's very surprising. All said yes. Well, Ms. Lee thought that, well, the House might take another year or two or three. And literally, as she was thinking of going to Washington it happened overnight and it happened, that uh, only 14 uh, congressmen, Republicans, weirdly enough, voted against it. All the others, Democrats and Republicans voted for it. So it passed overwhelmingly and then went to the president's desk. He just returned from the uh, uh, series of summits in, in Europe, the last one with Putin, gets off the plane, <clears throat> literally goes into the Oval Office the next morning, and signs it into law on Friday. So happy Juneteenth. Well, the reason this is important is because it marks this model where things go along, go along, go along, and then suddenly all kinds of change occurs, not gradually, not linearly, but asymptotically, meaning the curve goes straight up through the roof. My second story, which is number two there in radio pictures in my section, is kind of related uh, in a way to this model. Uh, If you click on it, um, you'll see that uh, it features a building on Brickell Avenue in Miami. And the reason I'm mentioning this tonight is because it's how Robin and I met. I saw an item in the paper about something was found um, in Miami that was not traditional. You know, everybody, you know, burns down everything day after tomorrow so that Miami has no sense of history, or at least it used to. And I saw a little tiny squid that they'd been doing some kind of excavations for a new uh, apartment complex, and they'd found something. And I was going to Miami anyway to visit the National Hurricane Center, Because at that time, I was very intrigued with something called Radar Rings. We probably should do a show some night on Radar Rings and bring everyone up to date on what they are, where they are, the status. I mean, they're one of those mysteries that we don't really understand, or at least a lot of people don't. Anyway, it was all kind of those cross curves that took me to Miami where I discovered that they had discovered – this was the excavations for this apartment house – a set of stone circles called the Miami Circle. And in my usual layback fashion, I wound up organizing <clears throat> Art Bell and millions of people and national television trucks showed up and, you know, the excavations were stopped for the uh, apartment house and ultimately, anyway, all of that is summarized at the end of this story because it turns out that they found another set geological artifacts in overseeing a parking garage demolition there on Brickle. And the whole story is very interesting, but the reason I just had to include it is because it marks the way and the mechanism and the time when Robin and I met each other, 20, well now, 22 years ago. Anyway, um... Moving on, item number three, if we're taking if if, if, if we we're, if we're taking a look at history and archaeology and who we are and who our ancestors were and all that. It turns out now that the Chinese want to build a sustainable human presence on Mars. So item number three is a story, very interesting story, uh, based out of uh, China, of course of their long-term plans. Now, as you know, one of the major themes of the show tonight is gonna to be what the Chinese are doing on Mars. And with my guests, we're gonna kind of go through some of the imaging that they've suddenly released after only a month. I mean, the whole story of the Chinese is so intriguing that I'm gonna save the kind of uh, you know, uh, jot and tittle and to and fro and anything you wanna call it um, for when we're actually talking with the other members of the imaging team, but their behavior vis-a-vis Mars has been very uncharacteristic. And rather than uh, talk to myself, I'm going to share some of my thoughts with members of the team, and they have their own thoughts, and so it will probably be a little more edifying if we do it that way. Item number four. Um, they have announced, the Chinese have announced, that's the news link there in four, that they are after a few more days of testing the rover, uh, Zhurong, which is named after a Chinese fire god, remember, they are going to be moving south. And there's a nice map there created by a a planetary scientist named Phil Stuckey, who does these really wonderful maps. Um, I believe this is set against the background of one of the Tianwen, that's the Chinese orbiter still orbiting Mars, as a mothership, that image is the background for uh, Stuckey's map showing where they're going to go. And one of the first things they're going to visit as they drive south with their rover, which is actually quite substantial. You're gonna see in a minute how substantial it is. Um, They're going to visit the um, aeroshell which is the protective covering that spacecraft entering other planetary atmospheres are surrounded by. Uh, And the parachute, which was used to land softly, uh, actually not technically land softly, but to slow down, because the actual landing of Zorong was like the landing of our uh, Perseverance rover and the Curiosity rover before that by means of uh, rockets. They did not use the uh, so-called sky crane method. They used a method that they've used on the moon uh, several times with great success. And um, you can actually see, if you look very closely at that image, and it blows up nicely, very large, you'll see the uh, the pattern in the dirt in the Martian soil, the regolith, of the uh, fan-shaped north and south extensions of the uh, landing rocket blast that lowered the uh, lander, carrying the Zurong rover uh, to the Martian surface several um Uh, weeks ago in fact it's been over a month a month and one week five weeks and now we have pictures well if you go to link number five one of the citizen scientists at unmanned spaceflight.com named uh, Thomas Apre. he's in France he does some brilliant work both imaging and and um uh gigapans or whatever, there's a really interesting gigapan there. Click on that, and you can look around to a color panorama, again, after only four weeks, of the Zorong landing site. And it's um, kind of flat as a table, Um, except there are some unusual things in the distance, and you can see one of the uh, rocket scour patterns from the ground, from the rover in the center of the uh, linking image there. That's what that star is in the surface, where the rockets blew the dust away and revealed uh, what's underneath, which looks more substantial. And we'll be getting into some discussions of what they actually landed on, what is in the uh, southern part of the uh, Utopia Planitia, which is the Latin name for where they've landed in the northern uh, uh, hemisphere of Mars. And uh, that'll be kind of interesting. You can tool around and look at various features. If you now go down to item number six, this is very intriguing because when I saw this published by the Chinese news agency a couple of days ago, I said, oh, what have they done that for? You know, put up an artist's sketch of the lander, which is on the right, and the rover, which is on the left. And then I read, because you can, of course, Google translate any stuff now from anywhere in the world. I read that, in fact, what the Chinese did was brilliantly take another little camera with them, which was mounted on the front toward the bottom of that yellow part of the rover in that image on the left. And they pulled out ahead of the lander on the little wheels and they released this little electronic package, which turns out to be a deployable camera. Then they backed up the rover, so it would pose side by side, and they took a selfie and beamed it, along with a bunch of other images, which are available at that link, back to Earth. And that is an actual image of the lander and the rover side by side with the wheels deployed, the solar panels deployed, the mast, which has the cameras, most of the cameras up on top, uh, sitting there side by side. Now, as we're going to talk about amongst ourselves, and you can you know, eavesdrop if you want, there are some very interesting things in the foreground of that image, which immediately drew my attention. Of course, the Chinese would not draw anybody's attention, but based on images taken from the rover when it was sitting on top of the lander, which as you can see, if you, in your mind, kind of put one of those things stacked up on the other thing, gives you a pretty high perspective to look down and look out across the landscape. Um, There are some very curious things right around this Lander-Rover combination that do not look natural. I mean, they do not look like rocks. Of course, everybody talking about them, labeling them, you know, talking in in blogs about them. That Oh, you know, Chinese lander and rover image, you know, Mars rocks. No, because these have geometry and they have rather remarkable colors. And I guess I forgot to load that one. So sometime during the show, I will send that particular image to Kinthea and she'll post it as 6A. And you'll see why I'm so intrigued with what's around the lander. And as an indication of maybe why the Chinese decided of all the gin joints in all the world, you know that mine from Casablanca, why did they decide to land here? Well, if you go back and look at the GigaPan and you zoom in, particularly on the far right, you'll see some very curious things that showed up in the black and white images they released right after landing, things that look, shall we say, uncharacteristically geometric. And of course, one of the hallmarks of intelligent design is geometry. So do the Chinese know or suspect something about utopia, planitia that we, meaning the West, meaning NASA, doesn't? Or does everybody know more than the general public in the world because the real secrets of space are kept by a privileged few? Again, part of tonight's discussion. Okay, I I, I kind of think that runs to the end of my list. The rest of my items there we will be talking about uh, when uh, when we uh, actually talk with um, uh, my my guest this morning. So without further ado, let me click a couple of things here and bring them in, opening the pots. And gentlemen, are you with us?
2: Morning, Richard. Ruggiero, okay. Yes.
0: Everyone introduce yourselves because I've oh. lost track of who's with us and who's not. I think Tim Saunders is with us all the way from Good morning. Turkey. Good morning, Tim. Yes. I Good think Rogero is with us from the UK. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. And I believe Ron Gerbron is on the line as well. Uh, good morning, all. So let's see, where do we want to begin? Um, Ron, you and I should probably kick this off because it's been my contention, again, based on data, based on past performance, uh, basically with the moon and the brilliant landings of the Chinese Chang 3, Chang being the Chinese you know, moon goddess, um, and Chang 4 and Chang 5 where they not only gave us video you know within hours uh, on the way down but they then within a few hours gave us stunning color panoramas they give us video of the descent of the rover from the lander they would then give us views of the lander from the rover and the rover from the lander and you know not discounting the fact that the moon is one and a half light seconds away and Mars is like 20 minutes away at the speed of light. And there is a much more laborious link to get data back to China from Mars than from the moon. Still a month where you have nothing except a couple of black and white images for week after week after week. Um, As someone said in a movie once, it begs the percentages. So it's been my contention from the beginning that one of the indicators of whether the Chinese were the captains of their own souls when it came to Mars would be their behavior after they landed on Mars. That if they were really running their own ship, continuing with the uh, nautical metaphor, that we would see their behavior mirror with some time lag due to the bandwidth limitations, what they did on the moon. Instead, they, in essence, disappeared from any public comment, posting, news stories, leaks, whatever, for a month. And they only reappeared one day after NASA took their picture from MRO, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter spacecraft with the super telescope that looks down on Mars in low Mars orbit, and after NASA published a photograph showing that they were indeed on Mars, where they claimed they had landed, for all those skeptics that think that the Chinese you know, lie about everything, one day later, the Chinese called a press conference in Beijing and released a whole bunch of really amazing images, including the uh, panorama that Pierre turned into a gigapan up in my items further up. So, Ron, what is yes. your opinion? your political put on your, you know, geopolitical hat. Now, what is your opinion of why the Chinese behavior, which is to boast about everything and claim firsts in a whole bunch of stuff in which they don't deserve to claim firsts? What how do you explain their sudden departure from previous Chinese history vis-a-vis their space efforts?
3: I'm not sure it is that much of a departure, but I think there's a fundamental difference in the way that they Use their space program, uh, you know, in the total picture of Chinese affairs and the way that ours works, because they're as far as I know, they're very monolithic. You know, everything follows along to the same goal. So anytime that there's a discrepancy in the planning or, you know, any sort of anomaly along the way, uh, it's perfectly understandable to me that they would pause and just not do anything publicly about something uh, because they're not separate operations. You know, so even apart from outside influence, and I'm not discounting that they might be uh, under the microscope, if not the thumb, uh, really drawing all that much interest from the um, breakaways or anybody else. I, um, you know, I just think that they're being uh, cautious in that regard. I mean look at the look at the uh, stuff from the moon they're they behave like the traditional aphorism about lawyers. you know they don 't ask questions they don 't think they already have the answer to, so they've they've plotted this out carefully. I mean they spent over a month we know this uh plotting their own pictures from orbit of the whole general area there deciding where they were going to lie, land, so they obviously have a plan um. Uh, But they I think they just stopped because there's other political things happening. You know, as long as everything's running smoothly on other fronts and, you know, and I can't presume none of us can to say what the most important detail
0: of their overall
3: policy might be uh, on a day to day basis. But I have a suspicion that right now their space program has taken a slight back step from uh, prominence because they're they're trying to make sure other stuff doesn't. Doesn't cause them troubles, and that's about as kindly as I can put the whole thing.
0: Okay, uh, all right. Okay, uh, uh, let me
3: throw in one more thing. Uh, Morningstar will kill me if I don't.
0: <laughs> prod you that, that it
3: is. That it is. Uh, you pronounce it. You pronounce the. Um, uh, their little fire spirit named Rover uh, Jurong. He swears it to a a weird J, just like the J on Jezero, but it's a uh, it's Jurong, not. Not, not
0: a Yeah, except the J standard. on Jezero is supposed not to be like pronounced, a, according to our sources, as a Y, Yezero.
3: Yeah, which isn't correct either. But it's, um, you know, Yezero, Yezero, Jezero, I've given up on. But I'll, um, as far as I know, uh, Morningstar is better at pronouncing Chinese. Well, than, I know, mean, I Morningstar am, so is our I'll, resident I'll, I'll expert.
0: He's our resident expert on, on China. So if he says it's Zhurong, yeah. you know, who's to, uh, you know ignore expertise uh yeah anyway yeah. tim um we got about a minute till the bottom of the hour till the
4: break good morning yes
0: i'm just uh
4: deep into a website where i was just exploring the surface of ganymede actually
0: ah so, uh, yes the new slightly, ganymede images yes
4: yeah the first images in 20 years
0: Mm -hmm. post-up images,
4: that is, apparently. And uh, I was just putting an email together to Gintia to ask her if she may post it in my section because I think if you're looking for geometry, you can't fail on that surface. Did
0: you spot the dome over Ganymede yet?
4: Uh, Not yet.
0: (laughs) You will have have fun. You will enjoy. Uh, Anyway, uh, we're we're actually at the bottom of the hour, so let me hold my... uh, Uh, request for comments on China from you and Ruggiero until after that. Um, Tonight is going to be a very, uh, shall we say, variegated night. Uh, I'm planning to do a couple things that might, in fact, entail surprises, like this one. This is the Wild Wild West, one of my favorite themes, favorite programs. You are on the other side of midnight, coming to you from the Wild Wild West land of enchantment the land of new mexican endangered meadow mice and that's a reference an illusion that only a very few can understand you're on the other side of midnight my name is richard c hoagland we shall return
1: revolution 2.0 is called gates ag one and it's highly funded by the bill and melinda gates the mission statement is all about how we must accelerate the deployment of new technologies to indigenous farmers and it's going to help them with climate change right it all, again it all ties back to that and we must go in and take their heirloom genetics away from them right these these precious uh, hardy resilient seeds that have fed those people in various parts of the world For generations for for hundreds of generations in some cases and replace them instead with newly genetically engineered CRISPR modified bastardized that's why I say they're defiling the food supply ag tech as it's called and so this is why we now need to introduce the idea of a a acute food crisis and I would suggest that they have engineered and we're staring right now down the barrel of this is the, the urgency in tonight's conversation, uh, of an engineered food shortage. And they will use this food shortage, which you're starting to see now around the world, especially as the big bread baskets have started to experience crop failures, and they're shutting down their exports of grains, corn and soybean prices are rising precipitously. That means that the countries that depend on those exports, the net importers, are all already experiencing food crises. And so this is spreading around the world right now. And what will happen as we, you know, as we get through this is, y- you'll see the media and these think tanks and the UN, all these, all these players will point at the problem. It's just the Hegelian dialectic again, right? They'll say, now you see, because of climate change, this mm-hmm. is why we're having these food shortages, and of course the pandemic, and this is why, this is why we have to move into indoor vertical farms and lab-grown meat. And this, you, there's no option. Now, now you feel the pain, and now you see why we've been doing this. We've had your interests at heart the whole time. We're from the government, we're here to help, <laughs> right? So the, the, there, there's an acute crisis situation that we're now walking into, and that will be used to bring all of this nasty technology in. This is Christian Westbrook with the Ice Age Farmer, and you're listening to The Other Side of the News.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of Midnight. Here from the Land of Enchantment. Yes, the Wild, Wild West. And that's a double, maybe even a triple pun. Again, only decipherable by certain insiders. And if I'm really, really, really begged, I will explain. But you don't need an explanation, because this is one hell of a theme. And one of my favorite shows. In fact, you know, we got a minute or two. Let's listen. This is, um, you know, the Boston Pops. Actually, it's the Western Piedmont Symphony. Sorry, sorry. Western Piedmont Sy- Symphony. Welcome back, everyone, here on the other side of Midnight. Okay, Tim, you were about to, uh, first of all, you're sending some information, images to Kinthea regarding Ganymede, and Ron and I have been discussing this for a couple, is it a couple, three years, Ron? Is that how long we've been discussing Ganymede?
3: Uh, Oh, easily, easily. I think we were both, uh, before we discussed it, we'd both been looking at it for some time, I think.
0: (laughs) And separately arrived at the same conclusion, there's an ancient dome over Ganymede. Whoever these guys were to remodel the entire solar system our great, 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 great progenitors, uh, as I've termed it after Clifford Simack's famous 1950s novel, The Cosmic Engineers. They appear to have had a technology that could dome in entire moons. So building something 30 miles wide over Jezero uh, would have been duck soup. And uh, we will get into some of the permutations and, uh, uh, shall we say, controversies regarding that a little later in the program. So, Tim, you're sending to Canthea these new images taken by the Juno probe, which was sent to Jupiter <clears throat> to this very elongated uh, Uh, Polar orbit uh, a couple three years ago and Because of the way the orbits work they had to wait for the proper alignment because they have very limited fuel to do You know orbit changes and they were able to get it So it swings down at the far part of the orbit past uh, Ganymede Which is the second to furthest major moon of Jupiter from Jupiter and they got some spectacular black and white images, I don't know yet whether they published the color yet or one of the citizen scientists who take their feeds from their camera, kind of like Percy uh, images from Perseverance, whether they put them together as color. Uh, If if they have, no one's brought that to my attention, but even the black and whites are very revealing. So what we're gonna do is in a few minutes, we will turn our attention briefly from Mars to Ganymede and we will talk to um, Tim about what he sees on Ganymede. In the meantime, what are your thoughts about the Chinese?
4: I think they make great food. <laughs> um, uh, can you be a little bit more specific? I mean, um,
0: Well, I mean, Ron seems go? to dismiss their behavior as in keeping. And I think it's totally 180 degrees out of phase with everything they've previously ever done in space, particularly after they advertised in a poster that they stole from Curiosity, that they were going to go to Mars and they were going to reveal ruins, ancient structures built by whoever was building super stuff on Mars. Then they get there and they disappear for a month. And I cannot see in any way, shape or form why that is conforming to their previous behavior. And in terms of saying, well, they have more terrestrial concerns, usually Nations use space as a kind of a game-changer to change the subject to change the conversation Particularly have something to brag about and the fact that the first time out of the gate They successfully put a major orbiter into Mars orbit They then landed on a planet which has swallowed half the spacecraft that have ever been sent there They landed successfully for the first time they now have an operating rover with good cameras taking really interesting pictures and they don't say anything for a month. I'm sorry, I do not see that as normal behavior. I see it as confirmation of my model, which is the Chinese are not the captains of their own soul, particularly when it comes to space, certainly when it comes to Mars. That's the context. I do hear what you're
4: saying, but I think on the other hand, why would they want to share this with everybody i mean the chinese are busy with more
0: bragging rights. why have they just published remember item number three they're now talking about habiting mars about literally building colonies of setting up their own domes of doing all the super things that you know no u.s government has ever said we're going to colonize mars the only guy who's saying we're going to colonize mars is a, a south african who's an immigrant named elon musk so in terms of a the government, they're the first government. The Russians haven't done this either. They're the first government to say forthrightly, we are going to colonize Mars. And, Richard, yes, there, are, there are so many factors here,
4: and bragging is not the most important. There are those that brag and those that do. And it seems that the Chinese are just doing at the moment. So, I mean, let's just take it a little bit further uh, away from Mars, actually closer to home. Uh, this space station which they're putting up. I mean, they've just launched the third of 11 segments, I believe, uh, which will create their own space station, which is totally independent from every other nation, as far as I can understand. And are they, showing, are they sending you the blueprints? Are they going to tell you what their manifest is on board of each, each uh, you know, lifter from the, from the, the surface to the, the station? Of course not. I think what they're doing is they're just getting on with it because there's just too much state. I mean, it, even if you look at the valuation of certain asteroids, you know, they're into so much money. It, it's so many zeros, you can hardly fit it on one page. It's so many quadrillion dollars value in terms of minerals. So if somebody can actually get up there and bring some of that home, then why would you show where the, where the X on the, you know, the map is, where the treasure is?
0: Well, they have released images showing where they're landing, you know, and the images turn out to be exactly congruent with MRO black and white CTX images, as well as the MRO color. So they are leaking out a little bit of information, the most important of which, of course, would be where they've landed, because that allows other nations, you know, Europe, which has spacecraft orbiting the U.S. with MRO to verify. <clears throat> but they took them a month to reveal their first color image, And then it turns out they had decided to go with the butterscotch skies as opposed to the blue skies that we know from a variety of other evidence uh, are are really the uh, truth of what the Martian atmosphere looks like from the surface. So it's almost like they had to wait and wait and wait while some kind of behind-the-scenes negotiation was going on, and the end product of the negotiation was, okay, You'll behave like everybody else who lands on Mars. You'll publish the images we published, which is weird, you know, yellowish, tannish, salmonish skies, not a hint of blue. And uh, only then did they publish. Uh, Rogero, let me turn to you, because I'm striking out, you know, two for two so far. Uh, what are your opinions of what the Chinese are up to?
2: Well, um, happy Juneteenth day, firstly Richard. I find it quite interesting that they've had two missions—one to Mars, one to the Moon—and on both of them, you've literally got like one image, and then nothing. So, I find that uh, like really, really surprising.
0: No, wait, wait. Where, where do you where do you come from in terms of saying they only gave us one image of the Moon? They they've given us hundreds, panoramas, individual images, images from the lander or the rover. Images of the rover from the lander. Um, their their anomalous behavior is all about Mars, not the Moon. Well, on the Moon, it,
2: please correct me if I'm wrong. It was they released one
0: image to start with, like, and then there was like a month of nothing. No, 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 was... no, 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 no. You need to go back and check your sources because they were they were voluminous in releasing stuff from from uh, the Moon.
3: Okay, uh, uh, Richard, Richard, uh, uh, let me step in a rogera's defense there for a second i i know what he's saying the uh panoramas don't count to me as a big image dump not unless they release the individual images and they haven't done that tell me where i can go to get all the individual frames that they stitched together to do those panoramas i'm not saying that i'm not saying they're fraudulent but it's you know it's, it's already put together and that's not the kind of transparency that we're talking about Anyway, back to Ruggiero.
0: Well, if you want to compare them not releasing individual images for an extended period of time, the, the Europeans have been horrible about releasing original source data. They've released, you know, pressed images. They've released panoramas. You know, they've actually outdone the Chinese in terms of secrecy. And this has been a common complaint against the European Space Agency for many, many years. It's almost like everybody when it comes to what's out there do not behave normally because if you spend i forget how many you know yen this mission cost the chinese and them talking you know boastfully about setting up housekeeping uh on mars as a colony you'd think they would sprinkle within that four week period even one color image of the horizon And they didn't. They gave us one color shot looking down on the lander to show that the panels have been extended and to show a bit of the surface. And that was it. So this is not normal, again, against what they've done press wise. You know, forget the source data, because source data has been very rare uh, in terms of all space programs, NASA included. You know, they 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 actually claim They're giving us raw imaging, but we know that they give us reduced imaging and they store the raw data on, you know, Perseverance, talking in terms of the latest mission. What they've been giving us in terms of certain representations from Percy is very much degraded raw data, which says to me it's not raw data. It's been, you know, filtered. It's been censored. It's been you know, debanded so that you can't really delve into the details and figure out what 's going on, in other words, everything above the atmosphere seems to have a quarantine around it. The most glaring example recently being the Chinese behavior, which was very much in opposition to what they did with the moon, which was to give us panoramas to give us images to even post images on the Chinese army website from which I was able to discern that they had photographed there in Mari Imbrium the same kind of glistening glass structures that we had photographed back during Apollo on film 40 years before. That kind of confirmation would not not have been possible without the Chinese being forthcoming through their most credible outlet, which was the Chinese army.
2: Richard, on the um Zurong rover landing site on Utopia Planitia, had have, have, sure. um, have you um Have you gone up to sorry, thank you, Rod. Zurong. <laughs> yes, have no, you Jura, up towards the sun on the on the image, which you can do because obviously you can go around in a circle three sixty or you can put pull your little cursor and go up to the sun and um, I'm
0: not saying that there's anything in the sky. Well, actually in in that in that Gigapan, which is a yeah. a, a um, version of the Chinese imagery, um Apre, who was the citizen scientist in France who, you know, took the uh, Chinese image and then put it into a Gigapan, he said yeah. in order to do it, he had to create a synthetic sky which was oh. as high above the horizon as the original image the original image looks looks identical it's butterscotch so there is no way to look up at the zenith and the zenith of course the the imagery that the pan was taken at about high noon on mars uh a day or two after they had landed so there's no way to look overhead
2: yeah okay okay no problem i i do find it uh, intriguing how obviously we've got the Coloration difference in the sky compared to NASA's um, first image of when you see the ro- foot of the rover, and then they're looking out to the right, and you've got a beautiful blue. Uh, that uh, that got me out. We've got you know, two completely different colored skies.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Let it, me let
0: me uh, guys. Let me bring up something else because this kind of feeds directly into what uh, Rogero was just saying. One of the things that kind of flagged my interest was that in that first batch of three images, they gave us two black and whites of the little ramp that they extended from the lander to roll the rover down. They gave us a view of the horizon. It was a low resolution, what they call hazard cam image. They took two of those and then they gave us one color shot from the mass cam on the rover itself of uh, Jurong looking down at the solar panels, but obviously deliberately not of the horizon. And my impression was they were doing everything not to show us the sky. And it took them a little month to give us a view of the sky, of the horizon. However, if you go to my item number seven in Radio with Pictures, um, you can again click on my fast link right underneath the banner there on the guest page that will take you to number seven. This is a comparison of the first image they gave us from orbit from the uh, TN1 um, uh, orbiter in color uh, of the Martian North Pole. Uh, And side by side is a slightly enhanced version companion with it. And if you look at the right hand image, you'll see along the terminator which is the line separating light and dark on any planet. You know, the Terminator is termination between light and darkness. The Terminator on the moon moves around the moon once a month as the moon orbits the Earth. And shadows and craters are sharpest at the Terminator. And then you go into night. Well, if you look at the right-hand Chinese image taken from the orbiter, you can see very interesting color banding along the terminator. And if you look carefully, you'll see that it goes from blue to green, yellow, to red, and then over the darkness beyond the terminator, it goes black to blue. Now, why does it do that? All we've done is to brighten the image on the left-hand side. You can see the same colors if you're really, you know, perceptive on the left-hand image compared to the right. Why does it give us this banding of color? Well, this is the normal prismatic dispersion of an atmosphere, which acts like a prism, like a lens. And it's what gives us beautiful red sunsets on Earth, which has a very fluffy and dense atmosphere. What's so interesting is the reason it goes from bluish to green-yellow to red and then back to blue when it's in, over the dark It's because the first three colors are the prismatic bending of light in the Martian atmosphere, like in the Earth's atmosphere, due to the uh, refraction between air and space. And the final band of blue, over the dark, beyond the Terminator, that's called Rayleigh scattering. And that's, if you were sitting there in a high altitude airplane or in a balloon or whatever you would see, if you looked at the horizon, you would see a bright band of blue above the horizon because it turns out the Chinese inadvertently on that orbital image gave us the real colors of the Martian atmosphere. And they're Rayleigh scattering blue, which of course is diametrically opposed to their final month-long Agonizing delay in releasing the first images from the surface, which have it the butterscotch, you know, tan of NASA. In other words, their own data belies their own surface imagery, and I'm not sure they even realize that they had given the game away by releasing these two um, obviously not conforming sets of data. Uh, Richard, I'm
2: um, to so as like a control model, we, we've obviously got lots of missions where, well, I assume there's lots of missions where we've gone to planetary-style systems um, and a uh, satellite has done a flyby. Um, so if we look... Only at, only in this solar system. Yeah, that's what I mean. So um, I mean the word planets, excuse me. So as a control, you could look at those planets or asteroids that don't have any atmosphere do the same kind of um analysis and and see what you come up with with those to look at the sort of light refracting properties does that make
0: sense yeah i have and it, there's there's nothing there <clears throat> when you photograph the moon if you expand the brightness you know really uh, you know enhance the brightness mm-hmm. you wind up getting uh, you know Uh, No colors beyond the Terminator, uh, no hints of atmosphere, you get some speckling depending upon the angle of the lighting on the camera and all that, but you certainly don't get what we're seeing in this Chinese imagery of Mars. However, if you look at the European imagery from orbit of Mars, you look at Mm -hmm. the NASA imagery of Mars from orbit, you get the same phenomenon. As you do when you take pictures of the earth terminator looking down with earth satellites either in geosynchronous orbit or in low earth orbit in other words refractive properties of an atmosphere are invariant to the density Uh, it makes it much 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 dimmer but the spectral colors change dramatically if in fact you're supposed to be looking at an atmosphere filled with dust as opposed to molecular size molecules uh oxygen carbon dioxide whatever which even on jupiter when you take a picture of the terminator on jupiter you get blue beyond the terminator because the skies of jupiter even though the atmosphere is hydrogen is blue it's all due to the size of the molecule doing the scattering uh, compared to the wavelength of light that's being scattered so the skies of mars Are blue. The Chinese data itself says they're blue, which means the surface imagery that shows it's brownish or tannish or butterscotch is not consistent with their own orbital data. That makes total sense. Which means they had to change the color. And it it took them a month to politically decide to vote with NASA and the fact that they only came out with these color images on the surface the day after NASA says, yes, they're on Mars. There they are. I find, again, very, shall we say, um, indicative of political things going on behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, certainly. Uh, certainly strange, isn't it? That you're getting those two contrasts.
0: So, Tim, do you want to, has, has Conthea been able to post your images yet? I, I did not have any confirmation yet. Let uh, me, let me maybe, go look. Maybe. Let me go look. Doo, 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 I was just going to mention
4: that while we're talking about you know, the coloration of Mars.
0: Ah, she the, has posted your images.
4: Okay, the atmosphere on Mars is predominantly uh, carbon dioxide. Right. So <clears throat> something like 95%. So that must also have a bearing on the color. I'm not saying it makes it one color or another. No, but- no, no,
0: no, 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 no. It has no bearing. It turns okay. out by this kind of coincidence of molecular sizes, all molecules in atmospheres tend to be really scattered blue. doesn't matter what the composition is because the molecules are all about the same size. So they scatter blue light. It's not absorption or refraction or whatever. It's called scattering. And it's been well known for you know, hundreds of years. There was a guy named Minard who wrote a classic book that uh, artists who, you know, deal in, in uh, landscapes know very well called Light and Color in the Open Air. And uh, it talks in extensively about Rayleigh really scattered blue skies going back to, you know, Maxfield Parrish and other classic landscape illustrators. So it doesn't matter what the atmosphere is on a planet. If there's enough of it, you will get blue skies regardless of what it's made of.
4: Okay, well, that's uh, good to know. I mean, it'd be interesting to discuss some of the other planets in our our solar system and where they obviously have very different atmospheric conditions. So you're saying that, you know, the atmosphere in Venus has nothing to do with the actual gases involved in in the atmosphere.
3: If you... Uh, there are exceptions. Well, well, if the atmosphere was chlorine, it would be green. But but that's
0: because of... That's not because of scattering. That's because of absorption and and re-emission. If the the molecules making up the atmosphere are basically non-reactive, like nitrogen or CO2 or, you know, whatever, you get the blue of of the scattering. Right. If it's something incredibly reactive, which interacts with photons in a very energetic way, that's why chlorine has a kind of a greenish-yellowish cast, because it's not just scattering light. It's interacting with it, absorbing it, and re-emitting it, so it's giving us spectral lines of emission, which is a very different physical process. I'm talking about neutral atmospheres, like hydrogen, like helium, like if you could have an an atmosphere of krypton, you know, gaseous krypton, uh, Mm -hmm. it it would be blue. Uh, Give you an example: Um, when when the New Horizons mission and I probably should put this one up too. can see we're going to have to start making a list of what I'm going to add to my section. The images in color of New Horizons looking back at Pluto is a stunning, beautiful, gorgeous crescent with a brilliant blue atmosphere, even though the atmosphere is made of nitrogen with a smidgen of uh, methane gas. It's blue, because it's not absorbing or emitting, it's scattering. Richard, we're coming up on a heartbreak. Oh, that's right. is we continue? Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, very glad. Thank you so much. I'm glad someone is watching the time. Actually, we actually went by the time.
6: Ah.
0: Oh, Kentia's going to kill me. Anyway. All right, you are on the other side of midnight. Uh, my name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we will be returning shortly. As soon as I do a couple of things here full of switches, don't go away.
7: Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side is midnight.com.
0: Welcome back, everyone. The Other Side of Midnight for this Saturday night, Juneteenth, 2021. Imagine another national holiday. You know, there are only 11. I I mean, you know, uh, tomorrow is Father's Day. Well, that's not a national holiday. That's something kind of a different animal. Um, But there are only 11 national holidays. And so given that we've kind of broken the dam of 38 years without one, it's kind of intriguing to speculate what do you think the next one will be you know what will be number 12 the magic number 12 which of course is very um very uh hyperdimensional number 12 is not random it's a very hyperdimensional number anyway back to my guest of the morning tim saunders nautical architect um rogero callo who is. uh our, our British uh, contributor tonight, who is a podiatrist and who has done some really amazing sketches, medical sketches of bones that we have found in some of the uh, uh, imaging data that's come back from Mars. One does not expect on a barren, desolate, lifeless planet things that can be mapped in uh, uh, Gray's Anatomy, but there they are. And last but not least is Ron Gerbran, who was our resident generalist and. Uh, has an opinion about kinds of things. So let's see, gentlemen, where, where were we? We were talking about atmospheres. All I'm saying is it appears that there's this um, coherent um, propaganda now being fostered by the Chinese that the atmosphere of Mars is is unhealthy, unsightly, kind of icky, um, as opposed to that first astonishing uh, image we got from the color hazard cams on Perseverance, which showed a gorgeous uh, blue sky on Mars right after the landing of Percy. And as Ron has pointed out for many, many years... Well, Ron, why did not you tell them what you've been pointing out to me endlessly in hours of discussion on this behind the scenes?
3: Oh, which part?
0: The opportunity part.
3: Oh, uh yes. Uh, Opportunity and Spirit were the two little rovers uh a few years back and um parts of what they did are very confusing because the one that landed first was number 2. And the uh so therefore if it's got a 1 on it, that was the second rover that set down which was the um n- never mind. Uh <laughs> the point is they take the, they they didn't have color cameras and Without a colored camera, the way you get color, of course, is to take creatures and then uh, merge them together. Anybody's, uh, anybody's graphic program can do that. And you get very, very good color that way. Um, technicolor almost. Well, they took lots of triplets, those sets of three, but they only did a few uh, themselves. I, I mean, they only put together a few of them themselves and posted them. So I was amazed when I first started going through the archives how many there were. And um, also, which ones were conspicuously, shall we say, lacking? They'd like they'd like be missing one of the three. Now, depending on which one it is, I won't get too technical here, but depending on which one it is, you can average the other two together to get um, the missing one. Uh, you only need two of the three. But if, uh, yeah, it seemed like uh, often enough uh, when something very interesting was there, they either neglected to take them or there was just one missing or it
0: was horribly damaged. Anyway, or anyways, or they didn't put it in the public archive. What makes us believe? Oh, of course. Just because NASA, well, let me, let me lay this out. Just because NASA says oh, okay. we're giving you every raw image, What makes us believe, based on their past performance, remember, in law, if the witness can be proven to have been lied about one substantive point, the jury is instructed to disregard or regard with a jaundiced eye every other piece of witness testimony from that witness. Well, NASA has been proven to have lied so many times that even I've lost count. It's hundreds, maybe thousands. So why would we believe, even if they tell us, every image they're taking is somehow ritualistically promptly posted as a raw image in an open archive, which ordinary non-insiders have access to?
3: Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right. They couldn't have. Uh, They obviously leave lots of stuff out,
0: or
5: at
3: least they did. I mean, it's it's gotten a little more difficult perhaps right now because they're – I mean, we get same-day service. Of perseverance, which is one reason that China is making themselves noticed for the wrong reason, because <laughs> they're not doing that. You know, the uh, but this is new. I mean, back in the uh, Apollo program, how many years was it before they released most of the Apollo photographs?
0: And yeah, but the, the Apollo photographs were not—they brought back the Apollo photographs were not electronic. They were film. They had to go through no, one laboratory the, in Houston, and it was decades until we actually had an internet where they could post access. So, I mean, the delay in seeing all the imagery from Apollo is understandable in terms of technological development and access and all that. Whereas now sure. with electronic transmissions, there's no excuse for the Chinese sitting for a month on color images of Mars from the surface, unless it was political. Sure, a furious because they do share. Yeah, but look, Nations don't have to do anything, but they do it because even the most autocracy autocracies need public opinion on their side. And propaganda and bragging and my thing is better than your thing, et cetera, has been a standard, you know, tool of statecraft for centuries. So it makes no sense to spend so much money, such a buildup. Advertising they were going, doing something amazing by not only going, but orbiting, landing, and roving, and then for a month, nothing. That's the anomaly that I say is explicable by much higher level politics going on behind the scenes to get them, as the intel folks used to always say to me, you know, on the reservation.
3: And I grant you that that. situation is so bizarre that uh, you may indeed be completely right about that.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, but let a me... breakthrough. See, all I've needed yeah, on well... is a maybe. See, I don't insist that anything I say is absolutely right. I just try to weigh yeah. the probabilities and look at the trend curves. I'm saying the Chinese behavior vis-a-vis Mars compared to what they've done with the moon, technical issues notwithstanding, is so outrageously different It's the difference which should cause us to focus. Why is it different? Oh, my God, it's Mars. Well, of course it's going to be different because Mars is not just another planet. I mean, isn't that the thesis of our entire book, that Mars in terms of human history is not just another planet? Well, I think the Chinese are, as my cock says, 11, 11, 11, are uh, agreeing with an absence of prompt evidence.
3: Yes. Well, as I, oh, if I may, before we hit another break, let me just make the point about the opportunity pictures. The point was, if people can remember that technical dissertation 15 minutes ago, the uh, uh, you take three pictures, and there's plenty of them in there.
0: And anybody out there? You mean there in there? Meaning up. wait a minute, in there, in the archive, the opportunity in their in
3: their in their archives, which are irritating to go through because they're, it's rather slow. They changed them from the old style, which was much easier.
0: No, wait, 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 wait! Uh, and, don't, don't, uh, don't, 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 don't gloss over that because this is all about public oh. perception. It doesn't matter, yeah. everyone, if you ultimately tell the truth, if you make it so hard by ordinary people to get to the truth that A, they don't give a damn, B, they lose interest, C, they forget how to do it, or they have much more pressing things in their own lives to worry about. So if you ultimately put real data in an archive and make someone jump through five different hoops to get to it, the number of people who will ultimately do that, you can count on maybe, you know, two hands and two toes. So it doesn't matter that nasa's publishing what they're publishing in the spirit and opportunity archives it matters what they put out in their press releases and what ron you're going to tell us is that their press releases on these missions are totally different in terms of pictures from what's in the archive if you can get through all the gauntlet of all the hoops you got to jump through to find the damn archives
3: Basically, yeah. Well, you can get to the archive. It's just much slower. To see, you used to get a whole page full of thumbnails, and you could look across that. And of course, that that goes quickly if you're looking for pictures that match. You know, the three pictures that would comprise a triplet would all look identical. They you know, would might, hang on.
0: They stated. would they would appear in black and white, but they would have yes. subtle differences. And one would be a red, one would be a green, one would be a blue. And if you put them together not, with the proper filters. You wind yeah. up with full color, yeah. right? Yeah,
3: right. It's very simple. They've got the last, the last digital number in the, in the rather long tag titles of the files.
0: Which tells uh, you whether it's a it, red or a green or a blue, black and white. Image. It says the number. Well, actually, on the Perseus, you
3: know, some of them it actually No, no, no does stay, stay with opportunity St- Please, stay with yeah, opportunity. Opportunity, it says it's a two, a five, or a seven and you might see uh you might see a 2 a 3 a 4 a 5 a 6 or a 7.
0: And when you put these uh, together as, the, as you as you say triplets, you know, red green blue, yeah. What ultimate yeah. full color opportunity or spirit image would you get?
3: Right. You would get well, you take a 2 a 5 and a 7 and you tell your uh, you tell your graphics program to that this is RGB and just put them together that way. The 2 is the red, the 5 is the green and the seven is the blue. And they're within the nanometer uh bandwidth of what we consider to be you know, it can vary a little bit, but it's uh, you know,
0: I'm getting uh, older. I'm getting older here. Get to the punchline. What do you see? Okay. Well the punchline is what you get when you put them together is a blue sky. What? And anyone that's got
3: uh, wait, 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 wait. a blue wait. sky.
0: You're you're saying that these images secreted away <laughs> in an archive you can never find When you take all the time and energy and trouble to find it, to go through the algorithms, to log in, to remember the code numbers for the filters, when you put them all together in the archive NASA's been publishing, for those that give a damn, blue sky images of Mars? Yes. Wow.
3: And for once, once, people of the Earth, if uh, anybody thinks that even Richard is being a little over the top in the way he's presenting that, you will find on the page just look for mars exploration rover just type that in and boom you'll go there that's uh, it the, uh, it was the it was the
2: mer program
0: well, yes Ron. yes tim um can i just I, but, interrupt for a of minute, course of course that's
2: oh, what the show please. does very elegant i i just posted onto our um Skype feed a um, photograph. I'm not sure if you you guys have seen it. It's from the Mars. Oh, map. this is
0: Rogero, not not Tim. See you Brits. You yeah. all you yeah. all sound yeah. alike. Oh. Come on. It's on the page. <clears throat> it's on the um,
2: page. It's on the page already. Okay, so yeah. it's the it's, it's on my images. Um, Curiosity spots cloud cover over Mont.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Oh, we're, we're going to oh, have a cloud. wonderful conversation about the clouds, but let's not yeah. depart from opportunities color imagery which shows blue skies yet because what i'm trying to make the point is that in public and press images which are replicated by the agencies and published by newspapers and television and internet outlets all over the world that's the nasa that the world sees nobody except for a tiny handful of you know obsessive compulsives ever go through the laborious process of getting to the raw data assembling them and posting them anywhere and then it's not official so the world view of mars through nasa's press imagery is of stupid butterscotch skies it's only when you get down to the archives which are traditionally like years late in being posted that you'll find that their private data is totally different than their public data Which means if they're ever called on the carpet, if there's ever a congressional hearing and someone is dumb enough to say to NASA, why do you have two different images of the same place with two different sets of sky colors? They will simply say, well, one is merely press imagery, which is not calibrated. The other is in the planetary data reference. It's scientific. It's calibrated. And of course, that's the real data. And bingo, they get off scot free. Right, right.
3: It also says false color in the very small print on the write-ups of a lot of the press stuff you'll find, and you still see that around there. And when it's not, I mean, you'll even see it in the orbital shots from like Mars uh, reconnaissance orbiters. Sometimes it'll it'll intimate that something is false color. It's not really, and I mean, they're not even photographing the sky; they're photographing through the sky, but they give themselves wiggle room. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, but anyway. So everybody, I, the thing about this is that if you go back to the Opportunity, if you go to opportunities page, like I said, just play Opportunity Raw Images or Mars Exploration Rover, it's not hard to get to the website. Unlike the Europeans, where you will have to spend some time figuring out where the archive you need actually can be found. And then you need a degree in something <laughs> in order to navigate it. Uh, the uh, it, it takes a while. Uh the, uh, I have a friend in uh, Holland that can probably help you with that. But the, uh, if, you go to, if you go to the Opportunity uh, Spirit sites, uh, they have a page there. It says, How to Decode Image File Names. It's right there at the top. Go ahead and read it. It's like one page. You get down to the bottom of the page, and it says, therefore, if you look at – re- I'm not quoting it, but this is pretty close. It says, uh, if you look at the page, you will find other similar images that you can group together. Uh, I'm going, what? 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 It's 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 astonishing. They spend an entire page explaining to you that uh, anywhere from three to eleven of the digits in the number are the number of seconds that the uh, that particular uh, mission was on the ground. And yet there's there's hardly any continuity to them. Images that are right next to each other have completely different numbers uh, it's it's very, very strange, so they make but it very, that,
0: very hard to find any specific piece of data
3: by a simple search, yeah, that's why you have to know how to kind of go around and
0: it. How and many people do you think out of seven billion on earth have the expertise, the time, the energy, you know just just the endurance to jump through all these hoops to ultimately get to assembling three images and looking at them and saying. Oh, my gosh. The skies on Mars above opportunity on Saul so-and-so were blue. Mm -hmm. Oh,
2: 4,215, I think. Or is it 16? Yeah, not a lot. No. Ron, can I just get back one more? I'd like you to go back to the uh, the original image that I just put up or the NASA link. And it says this. I'm going to read it out on the website, yeah? The image yes. is made up of 21 individual images stitched together and color corrected so that the scene appears as it would to the human eye.
0: This okay. is this is a curiosity press release image of the clouds, right?
2: That's right. So that it's really crystal clear as well.
0: Okay, okay, so let's let let us talk about clouds because yep. suddenly NASA has become very enamored with clouds. Hmm. Um Rogero, you've been noticing this. Ron, mm-hmm. you've been working on this specific image. Uh, so, so give us the background history on who took it, why it's interesting, and why we both think it's kind of weird in terms of timing. You mean me? Are me talking? Ron, Ron. Yeah. Ron. Since Ron has spent oh, a lot of okay. technical time kind of deconvolving what this image really is telling us.
3: We're talking about the one with the thick clouds over Mount Meru. Yeah, is, I'm still waiting is. for it to come up on my on my screen here, but I yeah I know the one you
0: mean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, by well, the way, is, for those folks the, who want to find it, <clears throat> it's number six in Rogero's uh, section of Radio with Pictures. Again, click on his name. On I the thought list. it was
3: Tim's. Maybe
0: that's why. No, I'm no, no, about. no. This is Rogero. Okay. Yeah.
3: All right. Okay. Rogero's no problem. Six, four, five, six. Bingo. Yeah, there it is uh available in two versions one of which has the clouds moving but uh you know that looks like a thunderstorm about to break and you won't find any other pictures in the curiosity catalog that have clouds that thick and uh i think it's a um it's an overlay and they kind of hint at that I love it, it. There, describe what you things.
0: mean you know, you have to define terms what's an overlay
3: well an overlay is one picture on top of another and Good, i think the cloud you. pictures a a collection of a whole bunch of clouds, uh, different cloud pictures all mashed together in order to give a nice thick cloud cover because I ain't never seen one that thick. I don't know if... if, uh, Remember, the atmosphere
0: of Mars, I'm not going to bore people with my comparisons, but the atmosphere of Mars is is told to us officially by every space agency, no matter what Mm -hmm. government in the world is showing us images from the surface of Mars, we're told the atmosphere is one, one thousandth as thick as the Earth's, and yet it has clouds that, to me, look like when I was a kid growing up in Indiana. You know, it looked like those sulfurous, greenish clouds before a very heavy thunderstorm was coming in with the wind rising and the smell of sulfur slightly in the air. In other words, it looks like it could be photographed over any canyon on Earth.
3: Exactly. I think it's a hundredth.
0: Right? One percent? Yeah, one percent.
3: Right, huh? Yeah. 1%,
0: yeah. As, as
3: opposed to as opposed to the ten percent that it actually seems to be and which everybody from Shaparelli on up until recent times thought was the case. Yeah, but it's uh, no, that's that's basically my great insight analyzing the picture. Uh you can tell it's an overlay if if people look at it, you see the little see the little nipple on the left on the top of it of the butte? Okay, which I'm really Richard tells me that's Richard tells me that Mount Mercu is really like 20, 25, 25 feet high. It's 25 uh, feet
0: high. Come on. This is a low angle uh, shot looking up to make it incredibly impressive.
3: Right. Well, that incredibly interesting boulder, when you look at it closely, that's sitting on the top of it, which looks like the, world, the, the solar system's at least largest walnut, <laughs>
5: so,
3: uh, is if you look at it, there's, uh, you'll see a lot of color diffraction. If you blow it, I don't know if you can blow it up on this one, but the, uh, the on the one side of it, meaning that it's been you know one one picture has been overlaid and uh, it's offset a little bit, and so I think that has something to do with the clouds. It's got a little color fringing on one side of it, which the rest doesn't have. The point is, those clouds are unnaturally thick, and they sort of admit that in the small print. And if you read all the write-ups, but it's all um, in
0: the small print.
3: It, yeah, but the uh, yeah, all of a sudden. Uh, Whoever just said it, Rogero or Tim, it's, yeah, they've been got they've gotten awfully interested in clouds lately, which doesn't seem to be that they've always taken a few pictures, but they always said they were rare. You can find it in print. Very rare to see clouds on Mars, but they do have some. That's the way they put it. And all of a sudden, they've got enough up here for an Oklahoma cloudbuster. So I, they're they're getting to something, but I guess it's just uh, well, what was it you said, Richard? Just so that they can say that anything you see in the sky meaning any evidence of dome structures or anything no that's just clouds
0: well that's what i wanted yeah. this is a perfect segue and thank you rogero for posting yeah. this and letting us talk yeah. about it because i want to talk about in the next segment the domes over or dome over zero and we've got new data we've got more evidence that it's real and uh some of our team members are really kind of uh, fighting me on this they don't Well, it'll be interesting because there is a difference of opinion and science progresses when you have differences of opinion. So rather than covering them up or masking them over, we're going to rather lay out our differences of opinion of the Gisero Dome. And I'm going to present some new evidence tonight which argues in favor of the Dome. And I think, Ron, what you're politically saying is that because of all the interest we have stirred up around why Is the JPL team taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, literally, I'm not exaggerating, of the skies over Percy in Jezero Crater? Why have they suddenly become so incredibly interested in the skies of Mars? And then why did they publish this bizarre overlaid image, well, actually, what, 20-some images, mosaic of the skies over Gale Crater from Curiosity It's because I think they're deflecting. They want people to think that it's normal, people who have no memory and have not followed the space program and NASA in any particular detail, they want them to think that it's normal to take hundreds of pictures of the sky. Look, we've got clouds over Gale Crater from a previous mission. And I think it's another example of NASA propaganda. They're trying to lead us like the catbird on the lawn, away from the nest, away from the truth, away from the stunning reality of a 30-mile-wide, seven-mile-high ancient glass dome over their latest rover. And when we come back at the other side of this break, we are going to present the actual data But that's, in fact, what they are doing. And that is actually a pretty good segue into – into what we're going to talk about next. So let me do a couple of things here, moving a switch, give or take, and then we get the dulcet tone to one of my favorite Mars songs and Elton John.
6: Hours,
0: because you see, it wasn't always that Mars wasn't the kind of place to raise your kids and that appears to be one of the major things that NASA and the Chinese and the Europeans and everybody else who goes there as a government seems to want us not to understand. Elton, take it away.
6: On such a time. we me not and get you by. not the man they think I am Same kind of place to raise your kids. The back's cold as hell, and there's no one there to raise them if you give.
0: Some people might, but uh, to me, it's a harbinger of things to come. Okay, in the break, given that we have some very fast people who are professionals, uh, Tim was able to call up an image, do a little work on it, and I think Kinthi is going to post it in his section. Tim, you want to tell us what you found?
4: Sure. I mean, it's not rocket science, really. It isn't. I just took the image of the cloud that Ron pointed out looked like it was an overlay, you know, one image uh, of the, uh, the surface of Mars pasted under or over the sky image with the, the, the very full sky of clouds. And all I did was to zoom into the bottom right-hand corner of it. I inverted the image so black became white, white became black, which often shows up um, sort of witness marks or editing marks. And it, it took literally a couple of seconds to identify that there's like a, a very obvious dog-tooth perimeter around the rock photograph, which means that somebody at some point had used a selection tool um, in Photoshop yep. or a similar editing program, <laughs> and they cut away the existing sky and then put another sky.
0: So bottom line is, it. as you've just demonstrated, we're going to post this in, in Tim's section, NASA's faking clouds on Mars. Why in the world would they be doing this? Well, maybe they have nothing better to do. No, 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 uh... no, 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 no. Think, (laughs) Think politically, come on, come on, let's be serious. The stakes for government agencies to lie at a level where even an ordinary, you know, imaging program can find it just like that, have to be enormous. Obviously, they're trying to cover something up with distraction by saying that all the stuff by metonymy that that Perseverance is finding over Jezero is in fact just, quote, clouds or electronic noise or anything but what it really could be, which is a damn dome built by an ancient, extraordinarily advanced high civilization. For them to fake images from curiosity of clouds and make it look like Indiana before an afternoon thunderstorm is it i mean t- to me it's not so much they're doing it because the morals of this have nothing to do with it. it's the geopolitics of high, high drama and and risk because what if someone at some level of expertise that would be listened to were to have the same conversation or post in a blog somewhere? let's say, some reporter that I think I'm going to send your enhancements to to try to get them to respond because why would NASA be faking dense clouds on Mars unless they're trying to cover up something even more important?
4: Richard, you've selected the dome as the reason why. That's that's your perception of it. In my perception, I would say that we've already discussed, in my opinion, what the elephant in the room is, and that is that clouds mean rain or precipitation or potential precipitation therefore water and I would have thought that to show a sky full of clouds especially as Ron said himself uh, like a thunderstorm about to start then I would say it's more about water than about a dome I mean pr- clearly if they are doing you know basic photoshop editing like this and not being very careful about it I can find it in three seconds not three seconds, maybe <laughs> twenty seconds, maybe. But I mean, the point is that it's very amateurish what was done there. And obviously, if it's a cover-up, then the message they're trying to send is not to, not just that. Excuse me, substantiated. It's very early here. I haven't have enough Earl Grey yet. But <laughs> so either they couldn't be bothered to find an image where there are clouds, or there simply are no clouds of this density on hand.
0: So, yeah, if, 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 if you're faking clouds to the point where it looks like they're, you know, about to rain, and you've been saying for decades that Mars is not the kind of place to raise your kids because it's cold as hell, water freezes, it evaporates, it sublimes, it never rained, hasn't rained in millions and millions of years, and the atmosphere is equivalent to 100,000 feet over Earth, to publish a fake photograph with dense clouds, either implies a stunning change in the Martian environment, much more conducive to life, to humanity, to a Chinese colony or musk, or you're doing it as a distraction. So any other images that are anomalous showing weird things in the sky will be dismissed by most people as clouds, you know, those Martian clouds, as opposed to what they really are. I mean, the only way I can read this is it's distraction, not cover up. It's designed to think us, make us think that every anomalous thing in the sky now that Percy is photographing is probably a cloud, as opposed to, in fact, in some of the first images that NASA took, these mosaics. The citizen scientists like Thomas aprey and um, uh, Damien Buick there in uh, in France were the two of the leading citizen imagers who put these amazing. NASA images together as panoramas or mosaics or whatever, they both talk about in their captions, clouds photographed over zero. So the, you know, disconnect, the the distraction is working among people who spend most of their, you know, non-professional amateur scientific lives looking at NASA data. If they have been fooled, then what do you think about millions of other people that will casually look at a Photograph like uh, Rogero posted and say, oh, clouds on Mars. Well, that's interesting. And they have no clue as to the stunning change this represents from the previous Martian environment that NASA has been presenting us with for decade after decade after decade. Richard, do you think mm-hmm. these
4: citizen scientists in France really have not clicked, not understood what it is? Do you think they really believe they're clouds?
0: Uh, given that Damia's own caption said clouds um, and the Kintia, Kintia, you've had what, one or two conversations with this very, very talented uh, young woman.
8: Uh, I had one and it was quite a while ago. It was before there were clouds in the photo.
0: This was like a <laughs> uh, year or two ago. What people have is to care in order to. Uh, one at a time. Yeah, go Ron, Ron, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, people have to care.
3: You know, I mean, it's like no matter how dedicated a researcher you are, if it's not something that you're personally paying attention to, you go, okay, that's clouds. You know, you don't worry about it at that point. You go, okay, there's an answer for that because that's not what you're looking for. I mean, I look at a lot of orbital images, and uh, there are often these um, inexplicable by their uh, explanations, uh, blurry spots and shiny spots and things, which I decided have to have glass involved in them being there. And, uh, you know, a lot of those could get explained away as clouds if they can convince people that the clouds are so endemic on Mars. Uh, they're all over every place, even, like, even a crater like um, Uh I mean, Gale Crater is much bigger. You know, you could have cloud activity and stuff that was so, you know, self-contained weather you know
0: in there yes yeah, it's, uh, it's about 100 miles uh, across
3: yeah so so it's you know it's palm springs you know surrounded by mountains <laughs> to think of a crater very good but, very uh good. the uh, yeah but uh Gizero, you know that's that's bakersfield you know it's it's the that's highly unlikely uh that they'd be trapped that way so it's probably something else but um you know you never know they just want to drop that off the options list i think just in case and um Any distraction you can pull off helps the narrative, you know, because then there's nothing left but the the mainstream narrative that you've got. But there's one more thing about clouds that's uh, a puzzle. A couple weeks ago, I pulled a bunch of the most recent, some old ones, just to make sure, papers I could find on uh, Martian clouds, because they have been studying these all along, you know, on the academic level. And I found there's two schools of thought. And this is today, after all missions and even stuff on with involving telescopes before we actually planted any probes there. Um, they uh, some about half of them think that they're high altitude clouds, and by high I mean like 95,000 feet, that are dry ice based clouds, and the other half think they're much lower clouds that are water uh, containing clouds, and that they have some interaction with the uh, groundwater. And in both cases, the explanations are incredibly confusing
5: mm. and, have,
3: and have a bunch of I – I, I am not going to waste show time detailing how they – you have to get, have specific details of conditions on the ground and temperature gradients and everything else in order for either of them to work. And they're mutually exclusive. And, these, and the most recent one that I could find, which is from – well, it's uh, published uh, – first published uh, in March of this year, but it won't be uh, out of embargo until October, so I couldn't get a copy of it, but I read as much of it as I could. Um, and that's from NASA. You know, it's from inside NASA, and they're talking about the dry ice clouds at 95,000 feet, and I do not know how that explains anything Related to the stuff in the uh, picture of Mount Meru or the other ones that they've.
0: Oh, those are clearly convective cumulonimbus clouds. Clearly, you know. Again, I've I've seen them over Indiana when I was a kid. I used to love thunderstorms coming because they're so dynamic in the Midwest, and those those look exactly like the kind of threatening lowering skies before a major thunderstorm in you know, middle of nowhere, Indiana.
3: Yeah, I've got a list right here of the 10 basic uh, types of clouds that are, I mean, there used to be four, but now, now the weather, now weather.gov uh, credits that there are 10 varieties of clouds, but you know, none of those would
5: fit.
0: So Rogero, look at what you've introduced into the conversation that proves again, a NASA's lying. That's Tim's work, you know, in real time. And B, They're trying to distract us from something. Uh, I'm going to hold my dome conversations for a little later in the show. I want to go to what Tim has been working on, which may sound separate, but in fact is not. Tim, talk to us about Ganymede, your imaging analysis, and then we'll talk about domes. Well, Richard,
4: I've not made a huge study on this. I just was observing and enjoying the images that came from uh, Juno. Okay, first of uh, all,
0: let's let's go to your images, which is uh, othersideofmidnight.com. dot com. Click on the tonight's banner for for um, uh, Juneteenth, June June nineteenth, twenty twenty one. That will take you mm-hmm. to the guest page. Click on on the uh, the banner. That will take you to there. Underneath the the banner, there there are fast links. Click on Timothy, and that takes us down to beautiful images from Juno of its close flyby in the last few days of Ganymede, the largest moon of uh, Jupiter.
4: They are incredible images, and the first number three is them.
0: something else. Well,
4: you're jumping ahead, Ron. <laughs> but, uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> That one, that one is especially there for Keith Morgan. I thought he would appreciate that one. Yeah. I was but, just uh, going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, Ron, you want to do it inside out. Let's go into number three first. and okay. no, 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 so no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, Do it. Let's, 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 go. Go. let's go one, no,
0: two, three. No. Ron, Ron wants
4: no. it this way, so we're going
0: to do oh, come, on, come on,
4: come on, Ron. Oh. We're going to number three, okay. Enki Katina. Okay. So okay. that is Enki. When did I lose three, control two. of
0: the show? Hmm. I want Tim to go first and talk about number one. Thank you.
4: Okay, well, good plan. Number one is a photograph of Ganymede. It is, this is not the high-resolution one, obviously, because it's on the Internet. But the original, uh, I believe, is taken as an accuracy of one pixel is around one kilometre. I have not measured that, I've not double-checked that, I just picked it up from reading, uh, you know, various texts that accompany some of these images from different agencies. So, number two, don't go there yet, number two is the same image, it's just rotated 90 degrees, Ah, so that uh, things may just pop out more easily than others.
0: Uh, And these are from Voyager, these are mosaics put together from, from Voyager? I understood it was Juno. Oh, you, you said these are not from Juno. Oh, okay. So these are. These okay. Are. No, okay the three good. is not. I, the three is an I, earlier one. I see. I see. Sorry. Sorry.
4: Okay. So, well, if we zoom into, for example, I'm going to pick one of these two. Let's say, just going back to the beginning, uh, the show page, I'm going to click on number one, and I'm going to zoom in to examine the top left quarter, uh, quadrant even. And I'd say that would be, if this moon is a clock face, I'd say it goes to around 10 o'clock. And you'll see there's like a, a sort of a dark, darker patch, which could appear like, um, I don't know, the head of a tortoise with a smile on it. I know I'm not trying <laughs> to say that's what it is, but let's just okay. stay in that general direction. And if you look closely, you will see that there is a, line a vertical line which is let's say i don't know let's say uh five degrees off vertical to the to the right it's rotated five degrees off vertical clockwise and that is a line that's a succession of craters apparently
0: oh yeah little ding 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 now those are supposed to be formed by comets which we know from the hail bop scenario back in 97 are not most of the time singular objects but have objects orbiting each other. And so when they collide, if you can think of the object orbiting in a plane, like an LP record, what's an LP record I hear people saying? It's like a- Vinyl. It's like a CD, only bigger. It's flat, like a dinner plate. And so what happens is the object strikes a planet and all of the objects orbiting around also strike in the same plane, which is how you get all these craters all lined up in a line, from one impact, because it's all the objects going bang, 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 and then nothing more.
4: So it, it's a rather uncomfortable landing of a cluster of rocks.
0: It's it, all orbiting and they, in the, the same away. plane, yes.
4: So that there is uh, Enki-Katena, which is uh, num- image number three, which was taken from an, a much earlier mission. But the, the, the point is, I'm trying to make is that that obviously makes a straight line of geometry for exactly the reason you have just described that.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: However, there are many, many more, in my opinion, geometric shapes. Now, we have another whole um, process going on here because the surface of, of this, this moon is, in fact, encrusted with ice. Richard, do you know what makes that ice? Is it water ice? Is it a different type of ice?
0: Well, Ganymede is mostly water, but it's, uh, there's been surface eruptions, so we're looking at water ice volcanoes uh, because of the warmth. That isn't nitrogen frozen like Pluto. It isn't, you know, methane like the, the surface of Titan. It's basically frozen water ice with dirt. That's the standard NASA model. But I want to point out something very weird about that photograph. First of all, look at the horizon. On both Mm -hmm. sides. See those jagged little thingies? Yes. They're not
4: real. Wait, That's where images have been patched together.
0: Exactly, because the Juno is not a framing camera. It's a camera in a rotating spacecraft that rotates in space, and the images build up line by line like an old-fashioned fax machine. So the mechanical Mm. rotation gives you one dimension, and the scanning back and forth gives you the other dimension. And because the spacecraft was moving relative to Ganymede at a pretty reasonable clip, because the gravity field of Jupiter is very big, so the velocity to stay in orbit is very high, they were not able to perfectly match the limbs. I mean, you could sacrifice something in the image and they decided to sacrifice the limb as opposed to detail on the surface so the surface detail all matches, but the edges have these little disjuncture things that are in the assembly process in the computer on Earth, not that Ganymede looks like this at the edge. Hmm. Now, well, item I number two. Fascinating. Look at, look at your line of impacts. What's the biggest yeah. thing that you notice betw- uh, along the line? Just go from the upper uh, top toward the bottom of that line which is almost straight up and down, slightly mm-hmm. canted to the left. What's the most interesting thing, which to me is incredibly anomalous, and I don't know of a ready NASA explanation?
4: Well, to me, as we're looking at this image, I would say the top crater, top impact site, is probably the first point to hit the, the surface. Agreed. As it hit the surface, yep, yep. it then spewed up a whole load of surface dust, water, ice. Which is called
0: ejecta because it it's ejected from the crater by the impact, the explosive energy right. of the impacts. Okay. Now, now you follow so ejecta, that line of successive craters down. What suddenly happens to the line of craters? Well,
4: it, it, it changes in size. And... It be smaller except there's one larger one in the middle somewhere. And... Well, you seem to know the answer, Richard. I was explaining my way, but you... you, you well, well, it the also
0: path. changes in brightness. <laughs> in other words, yes. as you go from up to bottom and the impacts keep hitting and you get this ejecta, in the top part, it's bright. And then about halfway down, the the ejecta gets much, much, much fainter, and grayer, darker. And the background, of course, is very dark compared to the other other uh, part of the uh, impact chain. Now, there are two ways to explain this. One is the surface is being hit that's different. In other words, there's something different in what is expelled from the cratering process in the upper part of that line of craters than when the impacts hit the lower part, which occurred in the dark geometric you know, rectangle of uh, whatever the Latin name of the, of the uh, region of Ganymede that you're talking about is called,
4: right? I prefer tortoise head.
0: yeah. Okay, or the tortoise heads, okay. The other possibility, which we're going to talk about a little in this segment, and then we'll drift it over to the next segment, is that something is different between the camera, between the spacecraft and the surface. In other words, you're looking through an obscuring layer lying above the surface of Ganymede and it's fairly sharp.
4: Well, it's a possibility. I have to say that what comes instantly to mind is if you're taking a high altitude view of earth, for example, you can clearly see where the ocean is and where the land masses are. And to me, this looks like a larger, more dense different material, or perhaps maybe it's a piece of ice, an earlier part of the crust with more dirt or fragments of space debris, whatever it is, that gave it a different coloration. Mm-hmm. If you zoom out of the moon, then you can see, and if you imagine that the darker areas are, I know they're not, but land, let's say, and the lighter areas are ocean, then that would, and that's the way my mind instantly understands it. So you could also give the analogy of, you know, aerial shots flying over the North Pole, for example, and you can see mm-hmm, there are broken off pieces of ice, which is sort of a drift, and the rest of it is ocean. I mean, I'm not saying there's, that's exactly what it is, but that's what comes to mind. Well,
0: this is the NASA model. The Ganymede is differentiated, meaning that it had heat in the core, it had convection, stuff coming up, stuff going down. It had, in essence, a Ganymedian version of Earth, you know, tectonics, with plates moving around and that's why you get these sharp darker and lighter areas you're looking at convective material water ice with rock and dust embedded in it coming up you know congealing on the surface causing these terrain uh, color and and uh, albedo or brightness differences okay that's mm-hmm. the standard NASA model which is basically your continent versus ocean model okay yes but There's something very, very anomalous. And your homework for the next five minutes during the break at the top of the hour, you're going to take this image. You're going to maximize the brightness. You're going to ramp up the brightness so that we lose all detail on the surface. And you're going to look at the limb, at the edges of the moon. Uh, Pick one, the left one or the right one. Just whop up the brightness so you're almost you know, overexposing totally the surface features and look at the very edge. And then we'll talk about the handiwork you're going to find when we come back. Before we leave, however, um, you can, by the way, if you look at the uh, slide on the right-hand side of the image if you're on a computer, you can raise it up and down and look at images all down to the Terminator, which is that beautiful curving light dark line at the at the bottom of the image in the uh, number one orientation. Notice how many of the craters, gentlemen, have a large crater or a smaller crater, and then right in the middle, there's another crater. Now remember NASA's standard model of what causes cratering on planets and moons most of the time all over the solar system, which is impacts, right? Why Apparently so. why would another impact decide to impact in the exact center of an earlier, older crater over and over and over again on Ganymede? And the more you look, the more examples you'll find. Big ones, small ones. There appears to be a lower end cutoff, which is very curious. How does a random impact know? Oh, there's a there's a crater. I'm going to go and hit the middle of it and make another crater.
4: Unless the inner crater is a artifact of the projectile itself or perhaps except the we inner see crater it, is...
0: Except we see it on no other bodies in the solar system over and over again. Ganymede is filled with craters which have a big one and then a small one or a small one and then a much smaller one or a tiny one and a tiny, tiny one right in the center. and that, How many
4: other bodies are covered with ice in our solar system?
0: Well, you've got Europa, you've got mm-hmm. Io, you've got Callisto, which is another icy moon. Callisto doesn't do this. Europa doesn't do this. Why is Ganymede doing this? And when we come back and you've done your limb work, we will probably... Uh, be able to provide a reasonably interesting answer. My guests this morning are Tim Saunders and Ruggiero Calo and Ron Jurgron and you are on the other side of midnight. And we're kind of exploring imaging in the solar system, imaging which does not fit in any way, shape, or form the models that NASA has been presenting us. I mean, on Mars, as you just heard in the last half hour, It's amply, easily demonstrable that the imagery of dense clouds over Gale Crater are fake. The overlying of image after image after image from other sky images taken by the Curiosity rover, or maybe some other place on Mars, or maybe not even on Mars at all. Why would NASA fake imagery on, on Mars, and why would they present imagery of Ganymede that is so intriguingly anomalous and does not, as you're going to see in about two or three minutes, the standard NASA model. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
7: Hedland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month
0: Welcome back. I am trying to send Kinthea an image because I don't know whether um, uh, Tim can work as fast. I'd already have this stored in my imaging files, and I just need to send it to her. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to type and talk at the same time, which is not uh, the easiest thing in the world. And uh, uh, Tim, if you are available to do this, uh, we'll go with yours. If not, uh, we'll go with mine. But I want everyone to look very carefully at the edge of the image uh, that Kinti is going to put up momentarily. And when you look at it, you're going to be absolutely astonished because you don't find this on every airless body in the solar system. You only find this uh, in terms of uh, uh, work that Ron and I have done separately. Um, on the moon, Luna, our own moon, and on uh, uh, Ganymede. And we've been looking at this, I've been looking at this for many, many years. Uh, I don't quite know um, how long that Ron has been looking at this. We're going to find out momentarily. As soon as I finish with this process, and my computer, of course, of course, of course, is giving me problems. Oh, I see why. I see why. Okay, okay. It wants that little further detail. So, we'll do this, and then we'll do that, and it's almost ready. Don't you like this live radio narration behind the scenes? Okay, can see it? it's coming at you. Um, so, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to get rid of this, and this and this, isn't this exciting? And I'll get rid of that and then I will open the lines and okay, Tim, were you able to see anything interesting? Mr. Saunders, I'm not hearing anything. That is weird. Why
4: am I? I zoomed in.
0: There we are, there we are, okay.
4: I increased the brightness significantly actually 150 so maximum in the photoshop system i'm using and sure enough there is evidence of artifacts around <laughs> the edge of the planet
0: count so, them they come in segments count them you know like left to right right to left doesn't matter okay
4: well the moon's pretty big but i mean there are lots of them
0: yes yeah and they're all aligned with the horizon with the limb they're all at about the same elevation above the limb which is the edge of the planet um let me see canthea will probably put mine up as um image number 12 12 and she'll tell me when it's ready to click on it uh, because mine is kind of pre-made it should be simpler for her to put it up but we'll also put it up in your section so people can go to either section the fact is ron you want to talk about what led you to the idea this astonishing absurd ridiculous stupid insane idea that this ancient super civilization had also domed over an entire other moon called ganymede oh sure
5: yeah
3: it's uh crazy is my is my forte uh but as far as it comes with ganymede i this was years ago and I don't remember exactly when it was, uh, would have been in the, um, let's see, I, late nineties, I suspect, but I found this picture, uh, this lovely picture of Ganymede, um, somewhere on the JPL website. And so it was probably from the Voyager days and it was a black and white image, I thought, but, um, I, um, So I took it home, and I said, boy, this has got great resolution. This is terrific. And I started – first thing I did were – one of the first things was – No, wait, 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 wait.
0: When you said you took it home, describe the process, because normally now we can sit in our living rooms, in our bedrooms.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I didn't have – yeah, I didn't have a fancy facility at home. I was going to the public library and
0: um, using
3: their equipment. And uh, as it so happened, the one library that I was using – had been wasn't they hadn't set up the county system yet, and so the uh this one had been privately funded and installed by one of the local tech people uh there were a couple of uh the early computer startups in that area like uh well like if anybody can remember k pro computers uh, <laughs> they were right up the street and i think it was i think it was in uh k that um, financed it anyway they can't. he sent his techs in. They brought a bunch of computers, they set them up, they networked them together so that you could actually transfer files from one workstation in the library to another, just like in their office, and it was as good as you could get it today. But, I mean, all I had to do, all I had to take it home with was, like, floppy disks. But, um, anyway, the, uh, so I took this home, and um, I uh, noticed something when I went to work on it. I converted it to full-color. And all of a sudden, I saw that it had color values. That happens every once in a while. Something is just like – it's like a piece of fruit that's waiting to ripen. You convert it to full color, and bang, all of a sudden, there's color values kind of hidden in there. So I guess it was a color image that had been um, turned into black and white to make it easier to post. I don't know. But in any case, I looked at it rather closely, and with the same air of mystery as those – craters with the rings inside of them that um richard was talking about i noticed that there was a big hole in ganymede and i said wow it's got a dent in it you know it's kind of like the uh... and then i looked closer and i realized well that's a dome my god there was a dome over the entire damn planet and something busted a big hole in it which kind of ended things you know I, i um Went in closer, I enhanced it, blew it up, all that other stuff. And I said, yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of wreckage around there. That sure looks like there was a dome there. And so I said, I'll be darned. They domed an entire moon, which is about the same size as Earth's moon, you know, Ganymede is. Um, so that was where it started with me. And I said, okay, these guys could dome an entire moon. My opinion is that they stopped because they, after something smashed into the Ganymede dome, they realized that... Doing it that way was too much of a single-point failure. You bust a big hole in it. And you're going to, going to lose atmosphere over the entire thing, and so the whole project is a wash. And I'm sure that was a very, very bad day. Well, Probably part of one, one I, of think I,
0: I think I differ a bit with your interpretation because, remember, if we're dealing okay. with real things, we're looking at an immense timescale. Millions and millions and maybe 100 million, uh, 200 million, maybe five hundred. To 600 million years in my model that's that's a reasonable chunk like one-fifth of the history of the solar system give or take so suppose this was done very 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 early on and what we're seeing now are pale remnants of what's left because even if this is made of unobtainium that's a fictional science fiction material that You know has zero mass and infinite density and you know tensile strength and all that even if the glass was some super super glass which frankly i think could be created given enough time and given enough impacts it will be smashed and whittled and eroded away so we do not know the time frame in terms of ground truth between when this stuff was built and when it was destroyed when major impacts made huge uh, dents in it or holes or whatever. So I wouldn't say they stopped. I would say that hundreds of millions of years, altered artificial solar system, you know, cosmic engineering took place. And it was only relatively recently in the last maybe 60, 100 million years that things happened that caused the damage you noticed. And that before then, this was de rigueur. This was the way you ensured that regardless of gravitational escape, an atmosphere around a planet or a moon, because these moons, I mean, Ganymede is bigger than Mercury. Uh, it just happens to orbit Jupiter, so we call it a moon. But it's really, if it was wandering around the sun in its own orbit, it would be considered a planet. Um, if it cleared its sure. own, all that stuff. Okay.
3: So. Well, it's, Counselor, it's, let me rephrase my, uh, let me, Rephrase my answer slightly. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I didn't mean that um, they stopped doing work with domes. I meant that perhaps because uh, uh, it certainly could have been compartmentalized in the sense of a honeycomb in the first place. Exactly. I mean, it would seem un- it would seem unreasonable to have it uh, just sliding around, kind of a Dyson sphere kind of thing, uh, except that's inside out.
0: Yeah, but wait, know. wait, 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 wait. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're assuming in your model that the solar system we currently see which has you know major bodies with orbiting mm-hmm. satellites planets moons etc and then a whole bunch of debris randomly orbiting comets asteroids whatever that that's the solar system in which this stuff was built what if that stuff all the debris is occasioned by the war and none of it is natural all of it's artificial occasioned by an incredible solar system-wide destruction of what I call the Great War. And before then, would have lasted a billion years because there was nothing orbiting the sun to smash into it that wasn't carefully planned. Richard, can I just add no. a few Oh, things? by all means, yes. Um, on the Ganymede
2: picture? Yeah. Uh, when you look at the bottom of the... Uh, Wait a
0: minute. has, has conti- can't have been able to post it yet i'm looking at the first image from tim
8: give me a couple more minutes no problem nope. all
0: right um, um mine is up there click on mine okay Yours is
7: in the
2: wrong place it's up but
0: it's in rujero's i have to move it to your place okay tim's are up oh good well,
2: okay i was looking at tim's image his image number one i think so you got the the dark line at the base um when you look at the craters, which NASA might say would be volcanic activity, but there, there's a, a bunch of craters along the base that are all spaced sort of, reasonably symmetrically spaced apart, and they all sort of follow the, the dark line base rim of the planet. I was like, that's interesting symmetry. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven craters. Point number one and number two. If they were... like structures, um, I think you might have mentioned it before, because it would be so gigantic. It would have to be like self-producing, self-replicating, because there's no way on earth you, you, you know, get the manpower, so to speak, to be able to build stuff like
0: Remember this. Remember Arthur C. Clarke. I do. Any sufficiently, a countryman of yours, any, mm-hmm. any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic we're looking at super civilizations. We're looking at uh, cultures which have control of time and space, and perhaps probably multiple dimensions that make anything we can imagine pale by any possible comparison. So we're looking at what would be termed magic by any reasonable uh, you know purveyor of truth or observer of truth. So you know the limitations. Yeah. That we think of theoretically oh we can't do this or oh the engineering to do there is do this is not possible you got to remove all that and simply look at the data the data says it's real the data says it's there how they did it is obviously somewhere to be found in the libraries
2: yeah i mean you look at where we've got in the last 200 years You know, it's like...
0: Which is nothing on a civilization that's millions of years old.
2: What would a place be like in um, a million years? I just want to go on to a point about Pluto. Do you remember some years back, I sent you those funny drawings of the um, geometry on Pluto? Yes. They kind of look like... um, Well, they look like pyramids.
0: Um yes they do they're huge arcologies found on the new horizons flyby of pluto and they're covered with frozen ices of mainly nitrogen and methane that was of 300 it. degrees below zero the best preserved arcologies we're going to find in the solar system which i predicted in the pluto book that richard grossinger and north atlantic published before he you know, uh, turned over the reins to the new team. I predicted what we saw on Pluto based on our our Voyager data from Triton at Neptune months before we got to Pluto. So yes, I'm well aware of the huge, extraordinarily well-preserved arcologies. I just wished they'd had a better zoom camera on New Horizons because we're limited by the distance and the timing and the resolution of the uh, flyby system.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember that because uh, I was comparing it to the show you did a few weeks ago of when you had the, the pyramid, so to speak, uh, or the alignment, which is the same as, as Giza. I know I've gone off tangent and there was a reason why. No, no, because...
0: no, 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 we'll, we'll just wind back around, that's all.
2: Okay, so with those uh, Pluto imagery, it, it was the same kind of shapes that you were assessing on on Mars with the the, the three pyramids in a row. Yep. Which is The same that we got on Earth. Uh, I do apologise. I've gone off tangent completely. As to why it's relevant, and I've forgotten to this image in front of me, of Ganymede.
0: Okay. Let me let me let me go back to Tim then. Tim, Cynthia, um, yes. in her inimitable ways, been able to post as item number five in your images and radio pictures top left of Ganymede by the tortoise head, and you've got uh, negative images and positive images, and then you have super enhanced. Take us through what you did in the five minutes of the break.
4: Sure. I was just looking in your section to see what you'd posted, but okay, let's go to mine. Um, So in my section, there is item number five, as you so rightly say. Thank you, Kintia. There are three images, and it's actually the same image is just enhanced in different ways so the first image is as you suggested it's the top left hand side of in the same in the orientation of that photograph above the tortoise head the image has been first of all brightened to a maximum level and then inverted so that the sky that the space black background is white and the lighter moon is, is in fact more or less black so what it reveals is a series of artifacts. Now, the first artifacts you may see may appear like two triangles if you if you zoom in on it. And those two triangles on the limb, I believe, are not structures. I do not believe they are. Uh, I don't think there's anything there. I think it's the same way as in the dog tooth editing tool. I think the background has been cut out and it's been put in superimposed as an overlay, like we talked about with the cloud shot. But that said, if you look slightly above the level of these, they look like pyramids. I mean, they're, they're triangular in shape. But actually, they're like sort of the faces in between pixels. the dog shoots Exactly, pixels. But if you look slightly further up into, the, into the, uh, the sky, then you can see there are also some more faint gray pixels that are bringing out, <coughs> showing evidence of something. So in my opinion, those are the artifacts which I think are real. Those are the artifacts which are actually there. And that does present a very interesting question. What the hell is that? So if we look at the same image, my item number two, I'm just going to go back to the main menu, click on my item number two. This is essentially the same image, but without the inversion. So black is black and white is white now. And if you zoom in, you can see that there is the dog tooth Um, edit witness mark. But there are also other artifacts which are higher in the sky, the ones I just mentioned. Now, while they're more difficult to see because the way that the color orientation is, they are nonetheless still there. So I'm just going to go back to my item number three. And this is exactly as you suggested, Richard. This is the same image, but on maximum brightness. And again, you can see the dog tooth witness marks around the limb. But slightly above, around the bottom left-hand corner of the photograph, you can see there are some more artifacts in the sky. So that's that's what I would suggest.
0: Okay. Now, segue to mine, because Canthea has been able to get it posted. So you go back up to my section in Radio with Pictures, which is item number 12, nice number 12. Uh, it refreshes automatically. Click on it, and now I've got this in the up-down orientation, so the the sun's coming from the right the shadow terminator is on the left look at the top and then the bottom which is space the background space has these uh, geometric thingies because of JPEGing that space itself but in a same altitude curve above the solid surface of ganymede you will see this array of little dots and if you click on the image again notice how many they are and how they're not randomly spaced they are in clusters they are organized they are geometric and they hug the limb and above it is noise below it is the blown out brightness of the surface but on both limbs north and south pole of Ganymede you can see over thousands of miles This array of geometric dots at a constant altitude above the surface of Ganymede. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the ancient Ganymedean dome. Covering the whole damn moon. Don't tell me these guys could not build something a mere 30 miles across over Yezero.
4: Well, I think what you're pointing out, Richard, is inverse, in an inversion of what I'm saying. I think what you're pointing out is the dome is, in fact, the dog tooth pixels. So that, that would be my
0: my. Perception. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the layer above it. The dog tooth pixels are simply the pixels at the edge of the image. Nothing's been done. That's just the way the gradient falls because, obviously, something has to be light. Something has to be dark. It's the line, mm-hmm. you know, click on it twice particularly in the bottom hemisphere, in the southern hemisphere at the bottom of the image. And if you have a magnifying glass with you, I mean, I I should have thought of this, but I didn't know you were gonna introduce Jupiter into our conversation. Uh, This is a regular line of geometric thingies at a constant altitude arrayed over the limb of Ganymede. And I have so many images in my archive that I could spend the rest of the night just uploading them showing them in in detail showing them in color that's why i think that nasa did not publish any color images of ganymede yet because they didn't realize they were there in black and white they saw them in the color and they're trying to remove them from the color and that's again why there's this gap between when they flew by and when they're making color images available
5: richard
2: oh i think they'll post one rather shortly um, sorry. In answer
0: to the show Rogero, was that you?
2: Yeah, it was me no. uh, I don't expect an answer right now No,
0: it was Ron in between and then you Go ahead
2: um, Yeah, I was saying I don't expect an answer right now Because this is a new image um, How come we don't see uh, When you look straight down onto the
0: Because it's the too damn thin See, oh. the concept of optical depth Comes into mm. mind here um, At Sunset The only reason you get brilliant colors most of the time at the horizon is you're looking straight line through hundreds of miles of Earth's atmosphere, because the air is fairly thin, even though it's thick enough for us to breathe, it's fairly thin. When you look directly overhead, you don't see it unless there are clouds at a much lower layer, which are much, much denser. You don't see the brilliant colors of sunset. If the sky is blue, you'll see banding color at the edge where you're looking through like 600 miles of air the only reason you're seeing this on the moon and on ganymede looking edgewise you know tangential is because you're looking through hundreds of miles of the remaining density of the dome that's left after it's been smashed and battered and eroded and abraded and destroyed by millions of years of micrometeorite abrasion okay yeah, it's uh, all it's uh, all in the angles. It's all in the geometry. Yes, Ron. Yeah, can I? Uh,
3: there's one thing that I, I forget again because this has been pretty lively, but somewhat quite a bit earlier, uh, one of you mentioned the um, shininess of Ganymede and the talked about it being covered with ice.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: that's the dome. You're seeing it. The dome doesn't have to be 40 miles above the surface. You don't need that much airspace. Well, it also it, I think had
0: the, I, I think it had multiple layers. I don't think it was one unified, you know, layer on on, sure. on above these places. It it was compartmentalized. It had layers. So if something penetrates an upper layer, the lower layers are totally unaffected. If something penetrates all the way to the ground, then the lateral compartmentalization. Think of it like the Titanic. If the Titanic had had those barriers to the upper decks you know, close to the, mm-hmm. to the surface of the water, the Titanic would have, would have lived. She would have stayed afloat. But they only built them up to a certain height. The water spilled over and she sank. The Ganymedians or whoever did this, they knew better and they compartmentalized, you know, in incredible redundancy. And so no single point failure by a factor of a billion. And that's why these domes, I think, are still there because they're incredibly redundantly resistant to impact.
3: Yeah, I was just answering the general question of why don't we see them and the uh, NASA response that you're seeing a place that's basically coated with ice, Guys, which actually by itself doesn't make sense. We are at the bottom of Great. the hour.
0: My guests this morning are Ron Gerbron, Tim Saunders, Rogero Calo, and we're talking about planetary engineering, which is an extraordinary segue. I mean, this Ganymede thing You know, Ron and I have been talking about it for a few weeks now, but um, this is very surprising and very timely, Mr. Saunders. Thank you so much, because it's the perfect segue to talking about the new data I have accumulated and will present in the next half hour on the very controversial 30-mile-wide, seven-mile-high, zero-dome on Mars. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, we shall return. You know, there's a line in Forbidden Planet where Walter Pigeon, in one of his most memorable roles, says to the uh, captain and the doctor who come to investigate the Krell uh, Laboratory, he says, gentlemen, prepare yourself for a new scale of physical instrumentality. Tonight, we're going to do a whole expose on Forbidden Planet and all of the incredible hyperdimensional ancient Martian civilizations that this compendium between three major studios in Hollywood in 1956 laid out on the big screen, apropos of uh, Gene Roddenberry's, you know, if it's real, it will be on television, you know, modified slightly to if it's real, it'll be in movies in print, in newspapers, on the Internet now, uh, on television, in social media. In other words, even the insiders do not believe that which is not talked about in the larger, wider culture. And what I'm proposing, with a little assist tonight from uh, Tim Saunders in a very interesting and surprising way, is that in this latest foray to take citizen imagery of Jupiter, of the largest moon of the solar system, same ganymede The repository, by the way, of a very important uh, Heinlein novel called Farmers in the Sky. When you find it and read it, there are some surprises that Bob Heinlein buried in that novel, written in the 1950s, that appear to be an eerie foreshadowing of tonight's discussion, which of course raises the question, what did Bob Heinlein know, former um, uh, naval intelligence, and when did he know it? It's like, did everybody know this stuff before we figured it out? It's really kind of seeming that way. Anyway, returning to our conversation, uh, before we wrap up on uh, Ganymede and move on to uh, uh, Mars and Yezero and the new dome uh, uh, information. Anybody have any uh, final thoughts vis-a-vis Ganymede? I have
3: one. I'm saying uh, you can, oh, here I am. Uh, I have one general thing. You can, you could verify this. When we're talking about stuff around the limb of a planet, the uh, it's not uncommon when an astronomer has a picture of something like that, that they will mat out most of the background. You know, they and they, uh, normally they're not going to go right down to the uh, edge of the ground. They'll leave a little something around it. But uh, you can see the difference usually. That's you know, exactly always... what
0: NASA's done with this. They saw this stuff. They thought it was noise. They tried to eliminate it by blocking it out. That's where that geometric stuff in most of space, but they... They didn't get all the way down to the surface of Ganymede because they didn't think they needed to, and that's where the MacGuffins lie. That's the dome.
3: Yeah, and the stuff that Tim uh, mentioned that's a little further out but still within the the actual space thing there, what you would see alongside of something like a broken-down dome uh, would be clusters of debris that's just hanging there like all the space junk that we have in orbit from prior space missions and God knows what else that they occasionally have to steer a satellite or a space station away from, uh, you know, that's what we're seeing. That's the clusters of stuff that are hanging further out. They're not extensions of anything that's attached. They once were, but I think now they're just the just debris.
0: Which is the perfect be... oh, Any, – anybody have anything else? Because we're kind of running low on time here. I don't want to give – appropriate time for controversy Tim thoughts
4: I think we should jump to the next subject we can always come back to Ganymede.
0: okay all right Um, everyone go back to uh, the other side of midnight.com click on tonight's banner for Juneteenth June 19th that will take you to the guest page click on the fast links under the uh, banner which says Richard that will take you to my section of radio with pictures scroll down quickly to number eight Number eight is one of these amazing images which has been uh, uh, imaged by Perseverance rover uh, sitting there by the side of the Jezero crater. It's not in the middle. It's probably about five miles from one of the edges of the crater uh, and a good ways away from the center, you know, divide 30 by two. It's like 10 miles from the center and five miles from the edge. And so any view overhead of a physical structure is going to be skewed because you're looking at it at an oblique angle. And if you look at number eight, this is a mosaic of four, I think it's four images uh, put together by a citizen scientist named James Sorensen, And it was then reworked a bit by uh, Bob Harrison, who added to my uh, enhancements, the crosshairs, the up and down white line and the left and right white line, which he, figure to be north, south, east, and west. Uh, What's interesting is that if you you click on it and make it bigger, you'll see that attached to those white lines, uh, slightly to the left and right of the ones that go up and down and above and below to the ones that go left and right, there are several colorful little images that I call the bubbles, which appear to be geometric spheres that are somehow suspended <clears throat> under this concentric multicolored whirlpool vorticular sky with all kinds of color patterns of repeating rainbows red green blue red green blue red green blue etc cetera, etc cetera. now in my model this is a physical dome photographed by the perseverance rover with multiple cameras which shows up on multiple imaging from perseverance and which has been assembled by these amateur scientists thinking that the fuzziness they're seeing are clouds and if you you know back out and look at the full image you'll see that there are four quadrants of dark there are multiple quadrants of light there's multiple geometry going at many different angles across the image uh one over the other over the other there's multiple color banding which is concentric with the, with the middle, which is this bright ring of brilliance, which appears to be like a donut, a thin donut with a darker center. And then there's a little speck of brightness uh, located uh, close to the center of the hole. And all of which in my model, I interpret as a physical dome, imaged made of glass, imaged by Perseverance with the navigation and mass cam cameras looking up taking mosaics. Now, there are opposing points of view. Uh, Holger Eisenberg says that uh, it's noise in the cameras. Uh, Tim, I believe, is in favor of the noise model because he does not see how this thing can be supported, and the lateral lengths of you know, tens of miles is unsupportable by any terrestrial technology that we can possibly imagine without regular supports every few miles at a minimum and probably more. Um, And what I've been looking for is discerning evidence that will tip us one way or the other between these two mutually exclusive hypotheses. Noise in the camera, a real physical dome, which I must add now, NASA has imaged, JPL has imaged thousands of times now. There must be a thousand images taken by the mass cams and the nav cams and the Watson camera and some others of what's overhead can in complete stark discontinuity with any activity of photographing the sky on any other NASA surface mission going all the way back to Viking. So item number nine, this is a poster. You want to click on it and then click on it again. It gets really big. This is a poster that Andrew kindly made up for me. Uh, Item number one at the top is the uh, Percy mosaic of NavCam images overhead, looking at the dome from inside at high noon. And the uh, geometry, by the way, that ring and whatever is not clear space in my model. It's, It's refraction through other layers. There's no open entry that you can see on this image. It's all fragmented and viewed from this large scale it looks solid, but it's not. It's probably as moth-eaten as an aging piece of Swiss cheese, but on this scale, it looks you know, pretty solid and uniform, except for the gradients of color and the gradients of brightness, which seem to be geometrically associated with an overarching dome-like geometry. If you look at the uh, large image at the top of uh, Andrew's uh, sketch, that's a photograph, the one you just saw, number eight, And he's listed uh, two, four, and three items. Um, And number two is a close-up of one of the bubbles. And then beside it, he's done a sketch of what the bubble would look like if you were standing there. Same with number three. And then the ovals, the other bubbles that are not spherical but are more ellipsoid, he has shown at the bottom, at least one of them. And the position of where they are can be tracked back to the larger image at the top. And what's remarkable is they appear to be round, refracting, and magnifying bubbles made of some transparent substance, which is acting like a lens. Now, we don't know, I don't know, because I haven't found any data that will tell us how close to the ground the bubbles are. They could be very close up. To the rover like just a mile or two above or they could be up near the apex of the dome which from other data we know is about seven miles tall if you now go to um, item number 10 this is a a model that i created the other day in the computer and it's a little bit big Uh, if you uh, scroll it left and right on your computer screen you'll see that it's a bit bigger the screen so you have to scroll left and right to see the whole thing what i did was geometrically put uh, one of the bubbles by rotating uh, it around and then an inset on the left showing in detail with arrows the fact that there are surface reflections of other physical bubbles in the dome on the surf there is a, a a vision of the center of the dome remember the zenith directly overhead because I rotated this now 90 degrees, that's visible as a reflection, says reflection of sun. And then above it, on the right-hand side, there are two examples. One is a mathematical um, algorithm showing how light is refracted in a glass or transparent refractive medium, be it made of glass or something else like water. Why would I say water? Well, the image on the right, which says ISS, is a close-up image taken by a a digital camera of one of the astronauts playing with bubbles of water in the space station. And the bubbles of water, of course, have a somewhat different refractive index uh, in how they bend light compared to glass, but that's not material because a bend is a bend and a bend and it only determines the size of images and the size of reflections and the size of, of rainbows uh, when you get down to the specific material. The point is that these comparisons with water bubbles floating in zero gravity in the space station, when viewed against the context of the dome itself over Yezero, says to me that we cannot be dealing with imaging artifacts or with noise patterns, uh, isocontours, uh, low light level digital stepping functions, any of the things that uh, Holger and others have said, that we're looking at three-dimensional glass spheres suspended under a huge um, parabolic uh, dome-shaped structure, which is 30 miles wide, give or take, about seven miles high, and made of glass-like material, which has extraordinary uh, tensile and uh, uh, other you know surface material properties that make anything we can think of making here on earth uh non-existent by comparison now if you believe the geometry around ganymede is a physical structure of glass-like material and it's the size of ganymede which is over 3000 miles in diameter you can quickly do the math as to how many million square miles of dome there would need to be to cover Ganymede, same with our own moon and my previous examples of the lunar dome covering the ancient moon, then doing something on the scale of Yezero is trivial for these super cosmic engineers. And finally, if you look at item number 11, um, this is a photograph that came in just the other day from Yezero, one of the mass cam images of the surface. And in there, you see three examples of obviously transparent crystalline material which is faintly rainbow hued these are fragments of glass and then in the middle of the array of three there is something which appears to be solid uh, rusted iron looking which has two hexagonal holes it's like a bracket and the hole on the side closest to the camera is bigger than the hole on the other side given that this thing can't be you know very 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 thick and they appear to be bore-sided meaning they're carefully aligned Uh, they appear to be geometric that could be I don't think it is but it could be a bracket of what is holding the dome together overhead or not it could just be a random artificial thing that uh, is on the surface because of other processes from other habitation the point is that when you look at all the array of different evidence from different cameras, different instruments, different perspectives, different geometry, different lighting, different images, different times of day. It all says to me, we have a coherent, multifaceted, confirming image of an extraordinary, refractive, glass-like dome, ancient dome over Jezero that NASA is trying desperately to avoid discussing, even though they're taking hundreds of images per month, because they're bringing up this extraordinary idea that Mars atmosphere is suddenly filled with lots and lots of clouds. So now guys, you can um, comment if you will.
2: Richard Ruggiero here. Hi there. Um, Hello. Um, Last week or the week before, I sent you a very um, simple image from my iPhone. Uh, regards to the sky on Earth. So I was thinking, sometimes when you put, you take a, a standard digital uh, camera um, or smartphone and point it to the sky, you will get a little round bubble that can kind of like traverse across the screen. So next time I get the opportunity, because it's quite raining, rainy in the UK, I will point my camera to the sky uh, with my iPhone 8 and take a, uh, some images and see if that same thing. Appears well, I then, think
0: we actually have one of your images as item number two In Ruggiero's items.
2: Oh that one that one there that yeah. is um, straight off of the Percy so th- this is uh, This is slightly different which we, we should speak about that in a second But what I mean is those bubbles which which you've got appearing we can compare to what the iPhone takes and see if they are different. So the image that you
0: posted is from the Perseverance rover and not from your own phone?
2: No. Ah, okay, okay. That's okay. I wanted you to see that because you can see those those rings, lines, um, you know, straight off of the uh, raw data and the Percy imagery. Uh, My point was, was I will take photographs of the sky and those so we see the bubbles that a, a digital camera will produce and then com- you can compare them against the ones you have.
0: You want to make a or side a... bet? Do I want to make a side bet? No, uh, you're not going to find bubbles in your Skyphone images. Okay. Um, we'll do that. Uh, who English who pounds? Who, who, uh, uh, obviously pounds. More money for you. Um, uh, uh, more more uh, commentary. Gentlemen, Ron, Tim.
3: Uh, I'm just fascinated by the fact that he said that it was um, rainy in Britain right now. I thought this was summertime. Is this, the, is this the John Cleese thing where he said, "Of course we have summer in Britain. It was lovely last year. I believe it was a Thursday." Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, no, I don't have a. I don't have a comment on that. I have a comment on the bubbles, though. Yes, the, that's uh, what I want
0: to talk about could, the bubbles.
3: Somehow, somehow, torsion fields of thought uh entangled in my brain, and I'm thinking, could there be some lingering uh, electromagnetic or other activity in what's left of the dome, and they're an artifact of the field structure, in other words, they're just kind of hanging there
0: like uh think of a levitron
3: isn't that what those things are called with the top that sits on your desk
0: yeah and, i've I've uh, actually anything? got one i I demonstrated at the National Press Club one year.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could it, uh couldn't it be an effect like that and they're just sort of bobbing around inside the um So dome, you're
0: talking uh, about what's real you're talking about real physical glass bubbles but they're not attached by any mechanical support. They're just kind of floating around in the dome?
3: Yeah, there's like there's a you know, think of uh, if you think of strata in an atmosphere, you know, where some things will just kind of hang in
0: that particular layer of air. Yeah, I think they we call be, them balloons. I think we call them balloons. Huh? But anyway, no, no, it's a perfectly viable well, idea. But here's where I think it breaks down. Why would okay. they be geometrically arranged?
3: Well, maybe that's where they're supposed to be unless they're going somewhere else. Maybe they're part of the re- repair mechanism or something.
0: Well, so they're
3: just kind of
0: in the rest position. Yeah, but see, what you've done is leaped over the obvious question, is it real or is it Memorex? Because my fundamental question is, is it noise? I have all kinds of evidence that says it's not, including cross-banding, different layers, different colors, different geometric orders, and then these bubbles that appear to be attached geographically to the north south east west orientation of the dome. I don't know how noise creates perfect simulations of glass and and water bubbles, the latter being photographed in the space station. Well neither do I. So I you're voting of... so you're voting that the bubbles are strong evidence in favor of a real dome over Yezro?
3: Uh, to I don't know. It? Yes, yes, you can say that because, okay. you know, we argue about the, the domes themselves all the time, but artifacts within, I, I mean, in the sense of imaging artifacts, inside of a matrix of imaging artifacts is stretching it a little far because that implies a uh, an organizing structure to the noise, which argues against it being noise exactly if you follow okay you follow my logic so Uh, so there I don't I it's hard for me to make the connection but it's hard for me to imagine that they're there unless they're
4: not actually something as opposed to which leads
0: us we got three minutes left Uh, Tim
4: thoughts okay well this doesn't give me a lot of time but I think it's interesting to remember that this is made of a composite of four images and in each image there is one bubble so maybe it is an artifact or a reflection of the sun or a sun bloom or whatever it is. I'm probably more in that direction mm-hmm. than the uh, gravitational boy. But just to summarize, because I think we're on the, uh, the, the way to the end of the runway, but- I would say the, I'm in the business of knowing how things work. And if I don't know, then I like to learn how things work. So I'm always trying to understand how this thing was created. In my opinion, if there is a dome, and I'm very curious, I remain very curious about this because it's not, I'm saying it's not an empty space, but in my opinion, either it's built like an igloo, where the roof structure is created from a sort of a, you know, hewn shaped pieces of, let's say, glass, for example. Uh, It's an engineered structure, like some of the renderings I've made before with like sort of arms and columns and panels and so on. Or it could be a nanotechnology where you know, millions or billions of little ant-like robots go up and position themselves in the correct orientation, hold on to each other, and then switch themselves off, and voila, there is a structure. Hmm. Or lastly, maybe it is far more advanced than that, where people create a thought and then man- manifest it using matter. Um, Which so then, of course, there's...
0: lingers long after they are dead long after they were Indeed, gone. indeed. Okay, now, indeed. see, I'm a, I'm a science guy. I like testing ideas. That's why I keep looking for ways I could be wrong, and I found so many ways that I'm right on this. In fact, next week, I will list, I will actually take the time and, with the imaging, list all the lines of evidence that said this is a real three-dimensional dome. I would remind everyone of Arthur Clarke, dear Arthur, any sufficiently advanced technology, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trying to approach this, Tim, from a 21st century engineering uh, understanding, I think is a little bit beyond us, given that we have no ground truth, which brings us to the ultimate goal of the, the mission, which is to encapsulate samples of the material on the ground in Jezero, package them in little titanium cylinders, and then send them back to Earth in the coming years which means we will have laboratory analysis of the actual dome material, whether it's big or small, they pr- probably will not be able to avoid packaging some of it and bringing it home, in which case we will someday know. Gentlemen, I want to thank all my guests, Tim Saunders, uh, Ron Gerbron, and uh, Rogero Keo. We are at the end of the hour, the three hours. I want to thank them one and all for a most interesting, wide-ranging conversation. Tim especially for bringing up Jupiter and Ganymede, which gave us an extraordinary new insight into what these ancients could do. Tomorrow night, we're going to extend our imaginations even further and talk about what is to come. Remember, there's a UFO report. Coming out of the Senate Intelligence Committee in the next few days. So until tomorrow night, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.
5: Step into
3: the world.